Blog Talk Radio. It's time to strap our boots on. This is a perfect day to die. Wipe the blood out of our eyes. In this life, there's no surrender. And there's nothing left for us to do. Find the strength to see this through.
And tonight we're going to be talking about Obama's decree de facto amnesty. And, of course, we're also going to talk about our states flooded by illegal immigrants, our president's involvement in local issues, namely, namely what's going on in Ferguson now. And, of course, uh, speaking of that, we'll also discuss how the New York Times posted Officer Wilson's film address uh, in their paper. And, of course, we'll also uh, talk about the riots in the street in Missouri, as well as the protests in America's streets in the cities over the death of those who commit crimes. And we will ask and answer what is happening to our nation. And, of course, as I said earlier, we will have Christine Timmons on tonight, uh, which we discuss Obama's immigration decree and the aftermath of the Wilson grand jury decision in Ferguson, Missouri. Now, Christine is a pro se litigant who prevailed in most of her cases against local and federal government. And Timmons is an alumni of the Thomas M. Cooley Mall Library. She worked with the 104th Congress to reform welfare and drug dealing. In 2012, she worked towards exposing voter fraud. She's a constitutional consultant, and now immigration is her focus of her work. And she explains how drug deals aided the invasion of America and how the Constitution would take back America. And, of course, folks, Bard's logic is the grassroots we, the people, show. And I believe we have our guest on the line uh, as we speak, so let's go ahead and open up the mic uh, to Christina. Thank you very much for calling to the show. How are you? Yes, this is Dr. Charles Tolbert. Are you all open to me now? Uh, well, I'm still waiting for our, our guest to, to come on uh, the show. She's uh, has not yet called in. Uh, but since we have you on the line, uh, I've got some audio clips that I'll play in a little bit. But, uh, sure, what's on your mind? Well, you know, Christine and I worked together. We had talked before when we were running for governor, and Christine was my lieutenant governor. And now what oh, we're okay. doing is we're, we're forming a political party to run in 2016 where Christine is the um, con- a constitutional consultant for Citizens for a Better America and, a, as you said, a pro se litigant. And so now what happens is that everything that's being discussed tonight has already been pre-placed on our website at www.cfabamerica.com. And one of the things that Christine's going to be talking to you about tonight is going to be, and this is kind of what her and I wanted to do, is let me come in and just give a little bit of Article One, Section 8, Clauses 11 and 15 that she's going to be covering, and Article 4, Section 4 of the Constitution. And it's going to really be about the powers of Congress over the president and how little power the president really has, and that if the Congress does its job properly, then we don't have any concerns about the memo that the president or a executive bill that he may write, because it can all be corrected by a Congress. And of course, one of the problems we have, and George Washington mentioned, is that a two-political party is never going to work in a system that's going to give us the liberty we need. We're going to need a third or more political parties that the American people are going to be able to address, vote for, and support. 
and this is why, you know, Miss Timmons, who is so much involved in the Constitution, is a very important ingredient, not only to our political campaign for 216 as a senator campaign for Florida, and to make sure that people like Rubio, who is an anchor baby, who cannot run for president, uh, is not put into another position, or Hastings, who is impeached and is not allowed by the U.S. Constitution to run, that the American people understand that they have a right to bring actions not only against the president, but each member of Congress. And one of the papers that Ms. Timmons is going to be working on, on behalf of Citizens for a Better America, is going to be a writ, a mandate on how we can keep Congress individually in line. So kind of laying the groundwork of letting people know that they can go to www.cfabamerica.com. They can follow what we write as we present different items to the national media and also the conversations we have with the Democrats and Republicans as we form the party of Citizens for a Better America. It'll start out as a minor or minor party with candidates in 216, and then we will become a 501c4 and become a national party over the next couple of years. So that kind of lays the groundwork uh, for Ms. Timmons. Is she on the uh, air with us yet? No, I, I don't believe, but I do have another caller, and I think it's our good friend Harriet. Uh, so let's uh, hear from her. And so let me uh, open up the line here, and uh, and that's uh, area code nine five four. Is that you, Harriet? No, it's me. Is that our that's Christine. Oh, Christine. Your number is very similar uh, to our good friend Harriet, and so uh, that's. Uh, <laughs> so, oh no, she's she's not on yet, but your your number is uh, pretty similar to hers. So um, we'll go ahead and <laughs> excuse me. I'm still getting over a little cold here uh, for you and the gentleman here uh, tonight uh put it in there. So we've got you folks. And what I'd like to do to, uh, this evening is since we are going to be covering uh, immigration, is if you folks bear with me, you probably heard the speech that Obama gave on uh, immigration. But before, uh, you know, we, we move on forward, I do want to play, and it, it is about 15 minutes, So, uh, but it is, you know, I think for those – who have not had the opportunity to listen to his speech uh, on what he's going to do with immigration, to give them an opportunity to hear the speech, and then we can make comments on on that uh, with that. I mean, we've got plenty of time on the show. Well, uh, you know, uh, Bob, you think before he starts, may I give the public a little insight so, so when you can tell when he's lying. Here's how you yeah, tell when he's lying. First of all, President Obama and no other president or Congress has the constitutional right to even speak to non-citizens. What Obama is talking about is what the Democrats instituted. It's called comprehensive immigration, and it's a violation of Article 6, Section 2 that says all laws of the United States shall be in pursuance of the U.S. Constitution. So all of this constitutional immigration and constitutional citizenship, I'm trying to get the Republicans to stay under the Constitution. They have to revoke every one of those citizenships. They, 
you just what do you hear? I don't want to reveal my whole plan, but nothing Obama says is in the U.S. Constitution. And when the next Congress comes in with a Republican leadership, what I'm going to say to you tonight will be well understood. Technically, he made it worse for the immigrants, but see, you guys don't know that because you don't know the Constitution. And the final thing I will say to you people, everybody in the world, has the constitutional right under Article 1, Section 9, the first 19 words, it says the states are in charge of importing people for work and migration. Everybody in the world got the right to go to any state they want to, but what they have to do, they have to register with that state. The way the Europeans did when they came over here by the tens of millions, they came under Article 1, Section 9, they registered with the state. That's the first thing you do. As soon as you register, you get an ID card so you can't be deported. If you want to become a citizen, you have to go beyond that and be sworn in. Raise that right hand in court and be sworn in as a legal resident of the state. Then you they send all of that to the immigration office, and now when you get ready to become a constitutional citizen about five or six years later, they already know you. And when you read what the, the immigration office says, the real one, the one for the United States Constitution, it says U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Service. It says your naturalizing must be attached to the Constitution or it can and will be revoked. About 30 million citizenships have been done under comprehensive. So now I want you guys to sit back and listen to Mr. Obama and start laughing. Everything he says is all wrong. It's not in the Constitution. And when I get into my little segue, you just wait till you hear what we can do about what he did. I don't want nobody to be unhappy. I'm glad he did it because now I can, I can get him now. See, he signed it now. I can get him, and I already got him. So don't y'all get excited about what nothing he say. Just start laughing. And so let him listen to it. Okay, well, first, before I play the clip, I do have a, a little montage, uh, speaking of laughing, uh, that I put together uh, with Obama. And uh, let's go ahead and take a listen to this before we listen to his speech. Because this okay. is things he said prior. Uh, this is some things he said prior to uh, giving that speech the other night. Okay. Well, look, Jackie, this is something that I've struggled with uh, throughout my presidency. The problem is, is that, um, you know, I'm the president of the United States. I'm not uh, uh, the emperor of the United States. Uh, my job is to execute laws that are passed. <laughs> well, Mr. President, to your question, what could you do? First of all, couldn't you just have them down here and refuse to let them leave the room until you have a deal? <laughs> Uh, you know the. Uh, I mean, Jessica, I, I am not uh, a, a dictator. I'm the president. So ultimately, the only people who don't want to disclose the truth are people with something to hide. Well, I'll say a couple things about the quote. I, I happen to see that, too. I, I mean, the thing that there are a couple things that stuck out to me. The first is, you know, again, we'll have an ample opportunity to discuss the legal basis for the president's executive actions once he's announced them. Uh, 
you know, I've, we've heard uh, this kind of rhetoric about lawlessness from the House Republicans for some time. I know that their most recent statement referred to Emperor Obama. You know, the fact of the matter is, uh, you know, the president is somebody who is willing to examine the law, review the law, and use every element of that law to make progress for the American people. And that is, uh, and if that is something that Republicans are critical of, that's, you know, maybe a criticism that the president wears with a, with a badge of honor. And folks, uh, they've meant the badge of honor from wearing the uh, Emperor Obama uh, uh-huh. nomicker. But uh, well, you know, as promised, I'll go ahead and, and play the uh, address uh, from Obama about what he's going to do with immigration, and then we'll continue on. Tonight I'd like to talk with you about immigration. For more than 200 years, our tradition of welcoming immigrants from around the world has given us a tremendous advantage over other nations. It's kept us youthful dynamic, and entrepreneurial. It has shaped our character as a people with limitless possibilities. People not trapped by our past, but able to remake ourselves as we choose. But today, our immigration system is broken, and everybody knows it. Families who enter our country the right way and play by the rules watch others flout the rules. Business owners who offer their workers good wages and benefits see the competition exploit undocumented immigrants by paying them far less. All of us take offense to anyone who reaps the rewards of living in America without taking on the responsibilities of living in America. And undocumented immigrants who desperately want to embrace those responsibilities see little option but to remain in the shadows or risk their families being torn apart. It's been this way for decades. And for decades, we haven't done much about it. When I took office, I committed to fixing this broken immigration system. And I began by doing what I could to secure our borders. Today, we have more agents and technology deployed to secure our southern border than at any time in our history. And over the past six years, illegal border crossings have been cut by more than half. Although this summer, there was a brief spike in unaccompanied children being apprehended at our border, The number of such children is now actually lower than it's been in nearly two years. Overall, the number of people trying to cross our border illegally is at its lowest level since the 1970s. Those are the facts. Meanwhile, I worked with Congress on a comprehensive fix. And last year, 68 Democrats, Republicans, and Independents came together to pass a bipartisan bill in the Senate. It wasn't perfect. It was a compromise but it reflected common sense. It would have doubled the number of Border Patrol agents while giving undocumented immigrants a pathway to citizenship if they paid a fine, started paying their taxes, and went to the back of the line. And independent experts said that it would help grow our economy and shrink our deficits. Had the House of Representatives allowed that kind of bill, a simple yes or no vote, they would have passed with support from both parties. And today it would be the law. But for a year and a half now, Republican leaders in the House have refused to allow that simple vote. Now, I continue to believe that the best way to solve this problem is by working together to pass that kind of common sense law. But until that happens, there are actions I have the legal authority to take as president, the same kinds of actions taken by Democratic and Republican presidents before me that will help make our immigration system more fair and more just. Tonight, I'm announcing those actions. First, 
will build on our progress at the border with additional resources for our law enforcement personnel so that they can stem the flow of illegal crossings and speed the return of those who do cross over. Second, I'll make it easier and faster for high-skilled immigrants, graduates, and entrepreneurs to stay and contribute to our economy, as so many business leaders have proposed. Third, we'll take steps to deal responsibly with the millions of undocumented immigrants who already live in our country. I want to say more about this third issue because it generates the most passion and controversy. Even as we are a nation of immigrants, we're also a nation of laws. Undocumented workers broke our immigration laws, and I believe that they must be held accountable, especially those who may be dangerous. That's why over the past six years, deportations of criminals are up 80%. And that's why we're going to keep focusing enforcement resources on actual threats to our security. Felons, not families. Criminals, not children. Gang members, not a mom who's working hard to provide for her kids. We'll prioritize, just like law enforcement does every day. But even as we focus on deporting criminals, the fact is millions of immigrants in every state, of every race and nationality, still live here illegally. And let's be honest, tracking down, rounding up, and deporting millions of people isn't realistic. Anyone who suggests otherwise isn't being straight with you. It's also not who we are as Americans. After all, most of these immigrants have been here a long time. They work hard, often in tough, low-paying jobs. They support their families. They worship at our churches. Many of their kids are American-born or spent most of their lives here. And their hopes, dreams, and patriotism are just like ours. As my predecessor, President Bush, once put it, they are a part of American life. Now, here's the thing. We expect people who live in this country to play by the rules. We expect that those who cut the line will not be unfairly rewarded. So we're going to offer the following deal. If you've been in America for more than five years, if you have children who are American citizens or legal residents, if you registered, pass a criminal background check, and you're willing to pay your fair share of taxes, you'll be able to apply to stay in this country temporarily without fear of deportation. You can come out of the shadows and get right with the law. That's what this deal is. Now let's be clear about what it is. This deal does not apply to anyone who has come to this country recently. It does not apply to anyone who might come to America illegally in the future. It does not grant citizenship or the right to stay here permanently or offer the same benefits that citizens receive. Only Congress can do that. All we're saying is we're not going to deport you. I know some of the critics of this action call it amnesty. Well, it's not. Amnesty is the immigration system we have today. Millions of people who live here without paying their taxes or playing by the rules, while politicians use the issue to scare people and whip up votes at election time. That's the real amnesty. Leaving this broken system the way it is. Mass amnesty would be unfair. Mass deportation would be both impossible and contrary to our character. What I'm describing is accountability. 
a common sense middle ground approach. If you meet the criteria, you can come out of the shadows and get right with the law. If you're a criminal, you'll be deported. If you plan to enter the U.S. illegally, your chances of getting caught and sent back just went up. The actions I'm taking are not only lawful, they're the kinds of actions taken by every single Republican president and every single Democratic president for the past half century. And to those members of Congress who question my authority to make our immigration system work better, or question the wisdom of me acting where Congress has failed, I have one answer. Pass a bill. I want to work with both parties to pass a more permanent legislative solution. And the day I sign that bill into law, the actions I take will no longer be necessary. Meanwhile, don't let a disagreement over a single issue be a deal breaker on every issue. That's not how our democracy works. And Congress certainly shouldn't shut down our government again just because we disagree on this. Americans are tired of gridlock. What our country needs from us right now is a common purpose, a higher purpose. Most Americans support the types of reforms I've talked about tonight, but I understand the disagreements held by many of you at home. Millions of us, myself included, go back generations in this country with ancestors who put in the painstaking work to become citizens. So we don't like the notion that anyone might get a free pass to American citizenship. I know some worry immigration will change the very fabric of who we are, or take our jobs, or stick it to middle-class families at a time when they already feel like they've gotten the raw deal for over a decade. I hear those concerns. But that's not what these steps would do. Our history and the facts show that immigrants are a net plus for our economy and our society. And I believe it's important that all of us have this debate without impugning each other's character. Because for all the back and forth of Washington, we have to remember that this debate is about something bigger. It's about who we are as a country and who we want to be for future generations. Are we a nation that tolerates the hypocrisy of a system where workers who pick our fruit and make our beds never have a chance to get right with the law? Or are we a nation that gives them a chance to make amends, take responsibility, and give their kids a better future? Are we a nation that accepts the cruelty of ripping children from their parents' arms? Or are we a nation that values families and works together to keep them together? Are we a nation that educates the world's best and brightest in our universities only to send them home to create businesses in countries that compete against us? Or are we a nation that encourages them to stay and create jobs here, create businesses here, create industries right here in America? That's what this debate is all about. We need more than politics as usual when it comes to immigration. We need reasoned, thoughtful, compassionate debate that focuses on our hopes, not our fears. I know the politics of this issue are tough, but let me tell you why I have come to feel so strongly about it. Over the past years, I've seen the determination of immigrant fathers who worked two or three jobs without taking a dime from the government and at risk any moment of losing it all just to build a better life for their kids. 
I've seen the heartbreak and anxiety of children whose mothers might be taken away from them just because they didn't have the right papers. I've seen the courage of students who, except for the circumstances of their birth, are as American as Malia or Sasha, students who bravely come out as undocumented in hopes they could make a difference in the country they love. These people, our neighbors, our classmates, our friends, they did not come here in search of a free ride or an easy life. They came to work and study and serve in our military and above all, contribute to America's success. Now tomorrow I'll travel to Las Vegas and meet with some of these students, including a young woman named Astrid Silva. Astrid was brought to America when she was four years old. Her only possessions were a cross, her doll, and the frilly dress she had on. When she started school, she didn't speak any English. She caught up to other kids by reading newspapers and watching PBS. And she became a good student. Her father worked in landscaping. Her mom cleaned other people's homes. They wouldn't let Astrid apply to a technology magnet school, not because they didn't love her, but because they were afraid the paperwork would out her as an undocumented immigrant. So she applied behind her back and got in. Until she mostly lived in the shadows. Until her grandmother, who visited every year from Mexico, passed away. And she couldn't travel to the funeral without risk of being found out and deported. It was around that time she decided to begin advocating for herself and others like her. And today Astrid Silva is a college student working on her third degree. Are we a nation that kicks out a striving, hopeful immigrant like Astrid? Or are we a nation that finds a way to welcome her in? Scripture tells us that we shall not oppress a stranger. For we know the heart of a stranger. We were strangers once too. My fellow Americans, we are and always will be a nation of immigrants. We were strangers once, too. And whether our forebears were strangers who crossed the Atlantic or the Pacific or the Rio Grande, we are here only because this country welcomed them in and taught them that to be an American is about something more than what we look like or what our last names are or how we worship. What makes us Americans is our shared commitment to an ideal, that all of us are created equal. And all of us had the chance to make of our lives what we will. That's the country our parents and grandparents and generations before them built for us. That's the tradition we must uphold. That's the legacy we must leave for those who are yet to come. Thank you. God bless you. And God bless this country we love. All right, I'm proud. You're not just listening to a show. You're part of the powerful voice of the conservative conversation on Blog Talk Radio. Nothing worthwhile has ever been accomplished without teamwork. PJNet invites you to help make a difference by adding your voice to the team, grassroots, conservatives working together to take our country back. 
To find out more, check out the PJNet hashtag and visit our website at PatriotJournalist.com. Let PJNet add our muscle to your hustle. What's going okay, on folks, so, uh, sorry about that. Uh, I did have uh, some mics off uh, while we were oh, having okay. the audio clip. So let's go ahead well, and go I'm, to you, I'm Christine. talking. Well, you know, I, I'm kind of glad you did have the mic off because it gave me a chance to bring my pressure down. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought I, well, I think I had it open, but then I may have... Uh, Went ahead and uh, mute him because I, I think I might have heard you make some comments in the background. Oh, <laughs> while man. He was... oh, oh, oh my God. I'm, you probably did. It. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, you might have heard some. I didn't know I was still on the air. I thought it was just him. I'm so <laughs> sorry, Bob. I, I, I'm so sorry. Well, okay. I want to know. listen to the archives. As long as there wasn't a lot of profanity flying around. <laughs> well, I can tell you one thing. Obama's speech is pure insurrection, anarchy, and it is an uprising against the word of the Constitution. It's rebellious, mutinous. It's a downright insurrection. And you're going to find more out about insurrection as we go along tonight. Uh, while I'm talking... I would like my people this week to pull up on their computer or get their handbook out, pull it up to Article 1, Section 8. And after you get to Article 1, Section 8, go down to Clause 11 through 18. That's going to be our study tonight. And what I'd like for you to do as well, once you hear, no, once you read what's in that, you need to call... 202-224-3121. That's the comment line for the Congress. And call everybody that you can and tell them you're wise up. First of all, I just told you, you see what makes the speech insurrection is there's nothing in the United States Constitution that's written for Congress, the United States, or the President. They can't even to non-citizens. Now, the words that he was saying, some of it is true about the immigration and how they came here. But what he didn't tell you is those immigrants came here under Article 1, Section 9. You don't have to pull it up because it's right up under Article 1, Section 8, the 18th Clause. What it says is migration and importation of persons is what the states think proper to admit. And that's the way the Europeans came over here by the tens of millions. They were sponsored usually. They registered with the state. Once they set foot in the state they wanted to be in, there were state registration offices. Once they registered, they received an ID card. You can't be deported. When you... Uh, Come to this country by the U.S. Constitution, you can't be deported because you've got an ID card saying, I'm a legal resident to be in this state. There's no such thing as a U.S. legal resident. They made it up. That's more comprehensive stuff. 
it can't be that because you got about five other clauses that say states are in charge of immigrants. So you can't have a U.S. legal resident because this state might not have immigration. You can't do it anyway because there's nothing written in the Constitution that say United States shall make U.S. legal residency rules. Nothing like that's in there. Uh, so let's forget about that part of what he was saying. Okay, now he's talking about the skilled workers and all of this stuff. Let me tell you something. Under Article 1, Section 9, when the states was in charge of bringing people here, we never had a minute's trouble. No one was ever deported, and the people came here with their money from Europe, and they bought the patents from the black inventors. When America first started, see, the slaves were the workers for 400 years, and by them being the workers, they knew what was needed, and that's how you got the cars, the telephones, the, the, Tom Edison, all those people, every one of them got their patents from the black people. There was a man named Granville T. Wood. He's known as the Black Edison. When you pull him up on the computer, that's what it tells you. Everything comes from the black, the trains, everything, the subway, the White House, everything. But you know the problem the blacks had? They didn't have any money. When the Europeans came here, they had money. They bought those patents, expanded on them, and for the next 50-some years, the Europeans built America and all the factories and everything that you see, they were responsible for building it through the patents that they bought from the black people. So I don't want you to tell me nothing about no high-skilled people from some jungles of Peru. I don't believe that. Everything that is done in Japan, Korea, and all that, they learned it from, from Americans. They didn't know how to do that stuff. If you think I'm lying, just Google black inventors of America. And even steroids. Percy, Dr. Percy LeVon Jr., he was a scientist. He invented steroids, the stuff to keep... A lot of people live every day. People don't notice. They be thinking that stuff coming from overseas, and it all comes from right here in America. The fuel cell car, that's the car that a perpetual automobile runs on fuel cells and water. Granville T. Wooden is anywhere back in about 1910 or something, and they still haven't put it on the road. The reason I haven't put it on the road because the oil manufacturers don't want it on the road. And I know that there's a fuel cell car because when I had 15 TV shows in Lansing, Michigan, I sat in one and rode in it. I think what happened, I think the oil companies bought the patents. So don't you tell me about no high-skilled workers. That's just a big old story. We had more high-skilled workers. See, when they come under states, it's like this. The Chamber of Commerce, the jobs, the individual people, the churches, the schools, the universities, uh, places like Red Cross and all them, they were the ones who sponsored and brought people here. It didn't have nothing to do with the United States, and there was no federal handout. When they had a problem, they went straight to the state, county, city, and local offices that were established for them. So I don't want to hear any more insurgent talk. And this talk he's saying about securing the border. Well, guys, I'm going to tell you, just like I told the Congress when they shut down the drug cartels, that's another thing. Americans don't even know that it was the Republican Congress that shut down the drug cartel. And the way they did it, I was the keynote official speaker sitting at the congressional table, Christine Timmons. When they gathered the open, meet, open meeting officially, 104th Congress, 
They said Miss Christine Timmon is going to speak now. She is our keynote speaker on welfare reform. I said, well, I don't have a whole lot to say. I'm going to give you four words. Stop welfare drug dealing. When you stop welfare drug dealing, the cartels will close down. Well, they don't know what I'm talking about. So I sat there and I explained it to them. I said, now them black leaders over there on the other side, they know what I mean because for the last 30 years they have been selling drugs and carrying on over their kids and, and, and working with the cartels and putting rap songs out. And you remember Nori Ager? They worked with all them people. I said, I need you to save the black kids from any more of their stuff. I need you. And I looked at the Republicans, you white people. And when I said that, I told it the press. And another thing, I don't want you press to say now one word about no mean white Republicans because they don't even know all this stuff. This is me, I Christine Timmon. I'm asking them to save the black kids from any more of the mess that these black leaders are putting out here, and they ain't got the nerve to want to try to blame uh, and on the Republicans. It's their own fault. And you can, it was so cute, the white people in the audience, you can see their ass. Yes, 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 we love her. We love her. You know, and I told the Republicans how it, how it worked. I told them, I passed out a chart. The man at the top, the, the, the South American cartel guy, he's a nigga. He depends on 500000 And on down to five and 10000 that's where the welfare came in. The young boys would get girls on the welfare and move in and sell drugs. It was a real system, and it's in the book that me and Congressman Dick Chrysler wrote. I found out from members of my family. It's called Get a Bitch on Welfare, a boat. They be talking about, man, I'm going to get me a boat. A boat. I said, what are y'all talking about, a boat? Bitch on welfare, I'm going to sell drugs. I said, y'all ain't going to do that at I said, I'm tired. And that was the very year that I, I joined the Republican Party and I helped them to shut every bit of it down. I told them, when you get back to D.C., you tell Newt, I said, shut the whole blasted thing down right now until we get this mess straightened up. And when they come back here, I want power to the states and I don't want no more drugs. You tell them girls that I said, they even spell the word drugs again, you lose that check. And Clinton signed everything we wrote, and that was in 1996, and it's still in the welfare application. Have you been convicted of a crime after 1996? And I got a congressional award from Dick Chrysler, and he wrote in his handwriting, P.S., we got the Christine Timmer laws passed based on the Management Amendment Act of the U.S. Housing Authority, and it throws drug dealers out of public housing. You ain't heard not one word from a drug war a drug cartel since 1996, and I praise and thank the Republicans for listening to me, and I hope they listen to me again, because I got four words again to stop all this mess that you people think is so complicated. It ain't but four words. Return state immigration power. Under the U.S. Constitution, the, the United States can't even speak to non-citizens. Justice Roberts and Justice Kennedy had a unanimous decision in Ward v. United States from their colleagues that those people don't even breathe at the same time, but they agree that anything that's not written in the U.S. Constitution belongs not to them but to the states or the people, and they said it throughout that case. 
That's what they did. Ain't nothing wrote in no U.S. Constitution. The fact that they can't even speak to them people. Amendment 14, Amendment 11, Amendment 10, Article 4, Section 4, Article 4, Section 2, Article 6, Section 2, Article 1, Section, I don't know, so many of them. They took this power on in trying to get votes when they started losing votes after Kennedy, the mess with Kennedy, they were very unpopular. Yes, let's go ahead and give uh, Charles a, uh, give him an opportunity to come in and make some comments yeah, okay. <clears throat> excuse me, okay. on the situation and on the speech, and then I want to be able to bring Dan in. Go ahead, uh, Charles. Yeah, you know, Miss Timmons covers it pretty well when she gets into the constitutional part of it, and I think that's the key. But when you look at what Obama said, and he was really making a veil threat, and it's been discovered that it's probably a memorandum, not an executive order. And what he was really trying to do is challenge anybody to come up against him. And what we're going to be writing soon uh, on our website, Ms. Timmons going to format it, is called a writ of mandate that when Congress, if in 2015, doesn't follow through with their responsibility to uphold the Constitution, and which Ms. Timmons is, will cover the power of Congress over the president and the lack of power of the president per the Constitution, then each and every citizen of America has a right to follow writ themselves. Now, last night when we were on another talk show, there was discussions about boycotting. If if you want to stop the Republican and the Democrat Party, you stop donating. If you want to stop news media from bringing on negative propaganda against the Constitution, you stop buying the products. So what's got to happen over the next two years is the American, the citizens, and and this is basically where this party comes from, Citizens for the Better America, has to do, we have to start over the next two years to actually boycott funding joining organizations and being part of anything that we find violates the U.S. Constitution. And without people like Ms. Timmons, who for 50 years, who has been actively involved and who now is a member of a new political party called Citizens for a Better America, and without the formation of something that keeps the other two parties in line, America is going to find himself exactly where the third countries now want to place us. We have lacked in education. We are no longer an industrial state. We have lost our resources. We have 86% of our drugs coming in from foreign countries. The president is talking about these individuals who were anchor babies that are now being paid and given educational money instead of the real American citizens. They're talking about jobs being held by two or three, one person holding two or three jobs. They're making mention that our job uh, is now at only five point some or six point some percent without looking at the fact that it's really at 18%. We no longer have 
an industrial economy, that our IRS is total out of order. We've allowed it to intervene where it don't belong. Uh, H.R. 25 is what I support, which is the right of Congress to establish a collection agency, which is not to monitor the nonprofits and the 501s, to reestablishment of the fact that it was never written in the Constitution of separation of church and state. It is the Constitution's writings that says Congress shall not establish a church. So when you look at everything the president tried to just put together, how he tried to use biblical quotes as a non-Christian himself, and then you look at the constitutional violations that Mrs. Timmons is discussing with you, and in fact, Section 4, or Article 4, Section 4, where Congress is not even upholding its power to protect the states, that it is doing nothing to protect us from invasions, that the states have the constitutional rights with their own militia to protect their borders, that Congress and the President and the Supreme Court, in fact, has failed to do anything that it's supposed to be doing, that the watering down of the Constitution, the lack of the American people to even see uh, because of news media giving false propaganda is just rather amazing. And I'll I'll stop there and let you pick it up. Okay. Doctor, I'm glad that you revealed that, but, but let but me tell real, you one real, thing. Real quick, real quick uh, Christina, I do, want to be able to, uh, do want to be able to bring uh, Dan onto the line, and then we'll oh, okay, uh, okay. bring things around because we want to go. Yeah, definitely want to talk about immigration tonight oh. uh, for the first half of the show, and I also want to talk about what's going on there. Uh, in Ferguson, Missouri, and across the nation, for that matter. Uh, so let's go ahead and welcome Dan. Thank you very much, Dan, for coming to the show. Big Thanksgiving Eve to everyone. Uh, go ahead, Dan. And happy Easter, too. It's a little early for that, or possibly belated. Yeah, I don't know That's why. Six that months. My head, I guess, but happy Thanksgiving. You know, we're, we're, <laughs> Maybe we're all, about eggs, thank so you. We're all getting a little unstuck in time. Uh, things are getting really, really strange in this country. And a lot of us... Well, not a lot of us, but a few of us were predicting things would happen similar to the way they're happening. And I'm really pleased to hear our guest tonight talk about constitutional principles and to be very specific about what the Constitution means. Now, we're a long way from where we were in this country as far as obeying the Constitution, well over 100 years. And bit by bit, We've been moving away from what our founders intended instead of moving towards what our founders intended. Because quite frankly, what our founders envisioned and wrote about has never actually happened perfectly in this country. I'm not sure if it ever would, but we had a blueprint. We had a framework that was, was getting us in the right direction. Now, I don't think things are going to turn around overnight. And I'm sorry to say that, but it's true. That's not the way things work. I think we can move a lot faster than the progressives did because they had to operate as a stealth. Even today, Barack Obama can't come out and say, or any of his minions or any of the people for the status big corporations, they cannot, can't just come out and say what they want. When somebody like Gruber comes out and actually says it, and that, you know it finally gets some traction after three years, and a few people are even aware of it because it's not on the mainstream press, uh, they're embarrassed. 
so that Obama still has to act as if he's protecting America and as if he's obeying the Constitution, that he's he's doing what's right. Um, instead of just coming out, you think Kim Jong-il or whatever that uh, Kim is over there, the, the, the little guy who likes to, to murder people, um, his, his entire country is a gulag. His entire country is a prison camp. And he doesn't have to say nice things. He doesn't even have to say nice things to the rest of the world. He out and out just says what he wants to say. Putin pretty much says what he wants to say. But in this country, mm-hmm. our would-be tyrants still have to pretend and give lip service at least and be really careful with what they do. They are not even close to winning. That's what they want us to think because they want us to give up. Well, even though we won't have to do any kind of stealth, we can, we can be very open about restoring constitutional principles. Mm-hmm. Um, I, for one, would not... Uh, destroy what we have uh, right away. Okay, There's a few things in the federal government, more than a few, and in state governments that we could get rid of, nobody would even miss. And there's a lot of things we could trim back right away. But there's a lot of things, for instance, social welfare programs with the economy this shaky, even though I'm not in favor of them, I wouldn't cut them one bit, not the first day, not the first month. But I would cut a lot of regulations on small businesses and entrepreneurs to let them create jobs. And when they do create the jobs, because that's what they want to do is create wealth out of nothing, and they create jobs, as the jobs are created, there's a million new jobs, we can trim a million off the edges in the welfare rolls and the other social programs. And then as, as those people return to the workforce and some of them start businesses and the money starts flowing and we start spiraling upward instead of spiraling down the tubes, um, we can cut and cut and cut to the point where there's no able-bodied, sound-minded person who's receiving a single dime of somebody else's money unless that person donates that money voluntarily. And the last step would be that social safety net, which, you know, if you have a heart, you have to believe in taking care of those people who just can't do anything. I mean, there are people who are that messed up. We're not going to cut them loose and throw them on an ice floe to, to want, you know, disappear and die. We're just not going to do it. But that should be the focus of churches and civic groups, and, and they can be mm-hmm. atheist groups. I don't care. But groups that care because Americans are caring people who will voluntarily give. Right now, it's very, very difficult for charities, unless they're huge megacorporation-type charities that never solve anything, to get any money because there's not a lot of extra money. If there were a lot of extra mm-hmm. money going around, if people were, were doing well and the economy was thriving, then you wouldn't want to sit on your couch and take welfare uh, if welfare was very mi- minimal and meager when you could go out and get a job and get really good money. Then you can buy the things you want to buy. You can have mm-hmm. a great time. And a lot of us with conscience would do decent things. Now, before I turn it back over, I do have some very specific ideas about immigration, what we could do, short of the enti- you know, just going back to the Constitution instantaneously. And the first thing is the power of the purse. All right? There's been a lot of talk about repealing this and repealing that. I think it's a great idea to repeal Obamacare, etc. We're not going to stop fighting these things, but here's what you do. You make small, standalone bills. 
take some time, and they'd have to actually work a little harder in Congress, but that's okay. Instead of a 2,000-page omnibus bill that's filled with references to other pages that, if you stacked it all up, would be just incomprehensible to anybody, you write a simple bill that's maybe a page, three pages, five pages, that talks about one simple part of the government, and you say, we're funding this. And you make it really clear. Obama's not going to veto those bills. If you say, we're going to fund the national parks to this extent, he's not going to say no to that because there's nothing in the bill except that. And you just keep sending him these bills over and over again. We're funding this, we're funding that, we're funding the other thing. And then you don't send him a bill. You simply don't send him a bill. You do not give him money. Don't give him the opportunity to veto anything. Just say, well, for instance, here's a very specific, for instance, you can call your congressman or your senator, and then I'll turn it over to our guests and to the host, which is um, there was a bill that was passed, and it's still on the books, that makes the uh, border fence, uh, it it, it funds building a fence. And what the Democratic Congress did, Democratic Congress and uh, Senate, was they defunded the bill, exactly what I'm talking about. They simply when they wrote spending bills, refused to put any money in for that particular thing. So the bill still exists. There's still authorization to build a fence across the entire southern border, but there's no money. Fund that bill. Send it to it. Let him veto that. Go ahead. Veto that. Tell the American public that even though for a relatively minor cost compared to the the cost of having all these illegals come in, uh, we can build a fence let him say no to that. Let's see what that does in the 2016 election for president and Congress and the Senate. Anyway, I got lots more, of course, but uh, like Miss Timmons, I have to sometimes stop myself so that other people get a chance. <laughs> Perhaps and someone like well, the host do that, right? Well, I, I, I Timmons, like you're a wonder. I think he's, well, I love it. Give me a call at 954 770 Wait a minute, let me write this down. 954 770 Okay. Four nine four zero. I have the perfect answer. You're gonna love it. Just give me about five minutes here. Does everyone have their constitution pulled up to Article One, Section Eight, Clause Eleven through Eighteen? Please pull that up. Now, what you need to know, and even Dr. Tauber needs to know this: the Republicans can take over the country for the next 50 years if they follow Article 11, Article 1, Section 8, Clause 11 through 18. That's all they got to do. Now, what Mr. Obama's speech was, I'm glad he made the speech. You know why? Everything in it was insurrection and anarchy and treason. He's talking about how the United States is going to help non-citizens who have committed felony invasion by Title 8. Section 1325 and U.S. Citizenship, uh, Chapter 2, Part 2, that says your citizenship must be attached to the U.S. Constitution. So their citizenship is, uh, is going to be revoked. So now let me tell you how Congress, the Republicans, can keep this, because you don't need, you just need a simple up or down vote on this one. And the reason for it is it's a part of the Article 1, Section 8. Number 1, back to this, return state immigration power. Everybody in this country who is a non-citizen, go and register with the state that you're in. Pay your state dues and fees. 
If you are not registered, then the state can call for the INS to deport you or send you to state court for ways to make up a payment plan. Number two, you stop federal non-citizen entitlement. That will clear up the border because what you're saying about securing the borders with fences don't make any sense. They're not coming over here because of that. They're coming because even the men on the train, right now those men have a debit card in their hand probably for $1,000, and they're going to get two or $300 every month at food stamps and enough to pay their rent. So you got that's what's wrong with the border. You can have all the fences in the world with radiation around it, arsenic, and mad dogs. They would eat the mad dog, cook them in the, in the, in the radiation, and season it with arsenic because they know if they get across that border, all the riches in the world. So that's not the answer, putting up fences. I've been telling the people that for the last four years, you've got to stop giving them money because I remember when the border used to be a ghost town when they only came here just to be migrant workers. And if they needed anything, they got food orders and clothing orders and rent vouchers from the state. There was no U.S. money. The final thing that the Republicans got to do to run this country for 50 years, they got to establish an office of citizenship investigation. Do you know under comprehensive citizenship for the last 30 years that most of them isn't worth the papers written on? I got the law on it right here in my hand now. It's Chapter 2, Part 1, Grounds for Revocation of Naturalization, U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services, and it's, it, it states in Chapter 2 under Grounds for Revocation of Naturalization is one paragraph that tells you the whole story. It ends with saying your constitution, your, your, your naturalizing has to be attached to the U.S. Constitution, and you have to prove lawful admission for permanent residence. Lawful admission for permanent residence is through the state. It's right there below Article 1, Section 8, Clause 18. It says states are in charge, and that's the way we did it in America for hundreds of years. So Mr. Obama is right, but he didn't tell you that they don't come under the United States. Y'all got to understand what happened. The Democrats were losing votes after Kennedy, and when Reagan came in, it was even worse. So they started paying Mexicans to come here first, and Americans were screaming bloody murder back then about they was giving the Mexican money, and Mexicans were taking their, 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 their jobs, and then the Mexican was the one that brought the drugs. Where Dr. Todd was talking about we losing industry, I've already told him and everybody else how that happened. When they sent for those Mexicans, they passed by the South, you know, Dakota, and, and uh, all those states on the, the, the edges, Montana, they didn't send them there. Do you know they planted them in the five industrial states, New York, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Ohio, and Illinois? They put them in every state where there was a car factory. They brought the worst, most strongest drugs. It was called Mexican mud and Mexican gold. And I told the black people, oh, you know, they didn't listen to me. Three years later, all of those states in all the cities where the factions were, like Flint, Michigan, Detroit, uh, Altoona, Pennsylvania, uh, I forget the state of the city up in New York, and uh, 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 shoot, Akron, Ohio, every one of them cities was devastated with drugs and fires. And all the manufacturers, about 70% was in Mexico, and I saw that no one could see that but me. That's what happened to the auto industry. The 
Democrats brought the Mexicans in because that's always been their goal from the time that they were part of the Communist Party was destroy industry in America, and they did it the easy way. Now, let's move on from that. Let's everybody read with me now, people. I need help here because this is very strong stuff we're fixing to read. Article 1, <clears throat> Section 8, Clause 11. It says, Congress shall have the power to declare war, read it carefully, grant letters of marquee and reprisal, and make rules concerning captures on land and water. The key two words there are reprisal and captures. Underline those two words. Now when we go to Clause 11, 12, <clears throat> and 13, 11 and 12, that lets Congress raise an army and a navy. Number 14 says Congress shall have the power to make rules for the government and regulation of land and naval forces. Number 15 is very circle number 15, people. It says to provide for calling for the militia to execute the laws of the union and to suppress insurrection and repel invasion. Underline Suppress insurrection and repel invasion. Number 16 gives them the power to organize state militias, and they don't have to pay for it because they would be in the service of the United States Congressional Army, and they would train their militia according to the discipline of Congress. The most important part for everybody sitting out there, I need people to be real, 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 Real quiet now, because you're not going to believe what they say. I hope you're all sitting down. It says, Congress shall have the power to make all laws which shall be necessary for proper carrying into execution the foregoing powers and all other powers vested by this Constitution in the government of the United States or in any department, or sit on this one, or officer thereof. Obama is the chief officer. They, he can't tell them nothing to do in anything in Article 1, Section 8, which takes out Obamacare by itself. Now, let's go back to number 15 and number 11. 15 says, suppress insurrection and repel invasion. Obama's entire speech was insurrection. Insurrection is an uprising against the government, rebellious, revolt, mutiny, revolution, and insurrection. When you do anything against this Constitution, Article 6 tells you this U.S. Constitution and all laws of the United States which shall be in pursuance of the U.S. Constitution, including treaties, are the supreme law of the, the, the United States, and it has to be carried out to every last judge has to follow it. Mr. Obama and the Democrats for 40 years, they were the ones who wrote up these comprehensive immigration and naturalizing laws that's got us in this trouble. What's supposed to happen when you look back at number 11, Congress shall 
have the power to write letters of reprisal and make rules concerning capture. You know what this this they supposed to do, even if they don't want to. The new Republican Congress is supposed to capture everybody in the House in the Senate who's written or signed any of these insurrectionist, comprehensive immigration laws and these insurrectionist naturalization laws, and they're supposed to repel invasions. That's why I was trying to tell you what Mr. Butler did made it worse for them because he's now made an executive order about people being illegal, and he did not name anyone individually by name. No one in this country has a document saying that they qualify under this. So now there's still undocumented aliens. So when the Republicans come in, they don't even need to establish an army. They can deputize every state police and local police and everybody who want to be deputized under the congressional militia and start, now you will have the power to go and speak to somebody, even if you're the state police, because the, the way the federal court wrote it for the Democrats was that you had to be a state person, a, a United States uh, employee. So now the state will be employees of the United States of the congressional militia. And they technically the judges, the federal judges couldn't do that to the states no way because when you read Amendment 11, it's so clear. It says if you are a citizen or a subject of the United, of the another country, any foreign nation, a citizen or a subject, you can't sue any of the United States and U.S. District Court. So that's another insurrectionist move that they made. We said back in the day, when they wrote those laws against the state police, we said the only people who benefit by that were the drug cartels. And there's a movie out right now called Kill the Messenger. It's a documentary showing you how the CIA, under Democrat congressional leadership for 40 years, was helping the cartels to get the drugs located in the, the, the areas where African American was and factories. So anything I tell you, I can back it up. So now, people, what we have to do, we have to make sure that we give all our support to the new, to the new Congress. Don't nobody say nothing like, oh, they ain't going to do that. See, when you do that, that's insurrectionist. Because if you say the Republicans are going to do it, then you're saying that they are also insurrectionists, and they really don't have a choice under the Constitution. Under the Constitution, they're supposed to send their militia or their army to the Senate. This is the way they did it in the 1700s and the 1800s. If someone in Congress had did something that was insurrectionist or uprising, you know what they did, even if it wasn't in writing. When you went to the next meeting, there would be sergeant-at-arms letting in the militia or the army. If you see eight of them, that means four people in that House or that Senate is fixed to be arrested because the way they did it, the leader, he stepped up and, 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 and uh, uh, he said, present arms. And then those men, you present arms. Then he read the charges against Senator such and such and such. 
when he read those charges, you are under arrest for insurrection and uprising and causing such and such and such and such. When he called his name, they told him, Senator, stand up. And when he stood up, the first two militiamen walked to him and stood on each side, handcuffed him and walked him out the door. And they did that until they got all four of them. If you see 12 of them there, that means six people did something they ain't got no business doing. What, what Congress is supposed to do, they required to march, have a militia at the U.S. Senate and call out every name of every senator who wrote one of those bills. You get them first. After you get the ones who wrote the bill, then you get the ones who co-sponsored the bill. Then you get the ones who signed it. When the Republicans get through, ain't nobody going to be there but them. And just the uh-huh. same thing be done. Listen to this now. You need to listen about two more minutes. The same thing go for the House. You've got to. Even if they don't want to, if they don't do it, I'm going to be filing writs of mandamus against every blasted one of them. And guess what else they can do? Go back to number 18. This one you're going to love. When it says, and all other powers vested by this Constitution in the government of the United States, which Congress has in any department or office thereof, they're supposed to march the militia down the hall of the White House and say, Mr. President, you are under arrest for violation of such a name and such a name and article such and such and such a one and insurrection and uprising according to Article uh, uh, 1, uh, uh, Section 8, Clause 15, and according to, to uh, Article 4, Section 4, you have uh, advanced an invasion and you are in violation of the supreme law of the land. None of your laws or words have been in the Constitution and uh, uh, Amendment 14 as well said the same thing. Amendment 14 tells you you have to be naturalized or born here to be under U.S. jurisdiction. Everybody else is under the state, including the anchor babies. You can't naturalize anchor babies. I heard him telling about those born here, but that's only for those born here of at least one American citizen. If your baby is part of an invasion, you can't naturalize that baby because they're supposed to be protecting each state from invasion. That's Article 4, Section 4. And when you're in your yard, when you've got to clean out the invasive weeds, you don't leave the little ones. And when you've got to clean up the cart in Ohio and Michigan, that horrible species, you think they leave the little babies? No. Everybody goes. Those kids are wards of the state. They have nothing to do with the United States. So that's what i got to say to you people tonight. The reason I was not worried about Mr. Obama, because I'm way ahead of him. And I felt as though he wasn't really, they said he was challenging Republicans. I thought he was challenging me, because I called the House and Senate all the top leaders. And I told them, people tell Mr. Obama, Christine Timmer say, don't do it, don't say one word, don't sign nothing. So I feel like he is challenging me. I'm the number one constitutional authority in this country. The state from Michigan to Barack Obama to Florida owe me upwards of $80 million in constitutional liability immunities that can be overturned if I ever find uh, an attorney with enough guts 
to get up and help me. It's money to be made. It's already made. They already lost. The immunity they got ain't worth the paper they written on. And Obama, he got a Bivens sovereign immunity. The court said, yes, Christine, you're right. There is nothing written in the U.S. Constitution for the federal government, the United None of the people can't do this, but they get sovereign immunity. But you're correct on the Bivens. You know what Bivens means? Bivens means even though you can't punish them, I can try to get the $5 million. That's what it means. And I don't need an attorney to do it. I just don't want the money. I just want the country to come back to normal. And the only way it's going to do that, you people can talk all you want and shoot from the hip. But if you can't find what you're saying in the Constitution, then it's no good because I'm going to be right there. I had to put down I have to do this every day. When they say, oh, they ain't going to do it, you, you can't. We don't need you. Don't, no one ever. I always say, I pray they do it. I hope the Republicans will do it, or they better do it, or I'm going to be filing a writ of mandamus because I'm going to call Christine Timmons at 954-770-4940. You can make money off of this. You can sue for damages. This ain't no game. I told Obama to shut up. He can't do nothing. Look, let me tell you something. The president has absolutely no powers for anything in Article okay. One, Section Eight. Christine, let's go ahead and let, let's let's go ahead and give Dan uh, an opportunity to yeah. chime in. I want to hear Dan. Oh, thank you. You're a pleasure to listen to. I, I I'll you. tell you what, I can. Just picture you up on the pulpit in a church. Uh, have you done that? Have you preached in a church? Well, would you believe it or not, when I was four years old, I I just walked into a church, didn't even know the church, and I walked to the little podium, I clammed up on it, and I started giving orders. And guess what happened? I was telling them about how bad they were, and guess what happened? The whole place internally combusted. And they was running all around me. It was smoke everywhere. I didn't even, it didn't bother me. I just walked right out. So, yes, I have spoken in church when I was about four years old. That's amazing. I'm, I'm just curious about one thing. Um, I've been reviewing the uh, Insurrection Act uh, that was originally passed and all the, all the changes that have been made. Stop, stop. I can't let you talk. That's what you're reading. No, 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 whoa, 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 no, Christine, Christine, don't say that. Don't say you can't let him talk. It's, this is this is his turn. Go ahead, Dan. Oh, well, I'm not saying that Dan, what the, the law is is saying is constitutional. What I am saying it is the law, unless it's mm-hmm. changed. Um, and there are a lot of laws on the books that are not based on anything in the Constitution, unfortunately. And they're all something, most of them have come about recently. The original Insurrection Act, which went back to, uh, I believe it was the 1790s, that was awfully, awfully close to what the constitutional um, founders had intended. It was, you know, I'm not not the constitutional scholar here. I'm not going to argue it was or it wasn't. But to my reading, it was pretty close. But they've made an awful lot of changes over the years. And I'm just wondering, um, reading the the act, it's it's with the Patriot Act and it's the Obama's authorization to that. It's it's just terrible. But for any president, if if I was president or you were president, it's too much power for a president. But you were mentioning uh, senators being elect, uh, arrested for insurrection on the House floor. When did that happen? I'm oh better, my God, I, I can't recall. That's been year. That's been hundreds of years ago. So you got to understand. I studied in, in elementary school. Fourth, fifth, and sixth grade, 
the same thing we learn more in those grades than you guys learn in college. We had geology. Yeah, but, we had well, world I didn't history. Go to college. That was a, okay. Well, okay, I'm trying to. You want to know how? When we were in elementary school, that's when they taught everything about the beginning of the country. Everything. Everything was when taught Senator- about how. About how when when Senate, when Congress was first formed for about a hundred years after that, if a Congress person did something they weren't supposed to do, they were arrested. They haven't done it, my goodness, in years. But it tells you right here that you have got to suppress insurrection, and then you look up what does insurrection mean? It means rebellion against the government. See, everything that they've done is insurrectionist because it's not in the Constitution. Go to Article 6, Section 2. It will tell you this U.S. Constitution and all the laws of the United States which shall be made in pursuance thereof, including treaties, are the supreme laws of the land to be handled down to the very last judge. Now, if Mr. Obama or Congress make up stuff that's not following that Constitution, it isn't what the paper's written on. It's an insurrection. It's an uprising against the U.S. Constitution, the supreme law of the land. The last case on that was, I think it was at the, uh, shoot, Virginia. Uh, I forget who it was. It was tried in 1978. Uh, uh, and, uh, and, uh, my biggest uh, worry, though, uh, Cheryl, my biggest worry and fear is if, if any power, whether it was patriots or progressives or libertarians, Republicans, Democrats, uh, Green Party people, if any group started to arrest sitting senators on the floor oh, without giving uh, – or if any force was used to enforce the laws uh, – more than it is being used right now. I mean, we're at a, a very close to a tipping point. If we start pushing too, too far, then what you end up doing is making it a government of force rather than a government of no, right. And no, I'll tell you what. Now, hold on, Cheryl. Let me finish, Christine. please. Thank you. And my point is this. Hold on. When you have force. Folks, I'm going to real quick. Uh, Christine, we have a standing rule here. We've had it through the, the entire show, and, and I don't normally do this with guests or anyone else for that matter. But one, I one thing I can't stand when I started the show. Christine, please. Okay. Please, stop. Please, please. One thing, let me give you a little background with, with the show. Is I, you know, I've watched many of talk shows and TV, radio for, for years. And one of the things that drove me crazy is – to have people talking to everyone of each other, I, I I can't stand it, and oh, you know yeah. I, I can't have it. I can't have it on the show. I won't have it on the show. So oh. um, I give people plenty of time to talk about other people talking over each other. So let's go ahead and give Dan his due. I want to be able to let him go without without an interrupted interruption. Let's go oh, ahead. I know it's a very you're very passionate, and we appreciate the passion uh, you bring and the information that you bring here to the show. Uh, but let's go ahead and let uh, Dan finish. And I've got some things I'm working on in the background as well here with uh, some folks I uh, appear to have angered on uh, Facebook for uh, for posting. And obviously they're taking some of the things I said out of context, uh, but perhaps I'm just wasting my time with them. Uh, but go ahead, Dan. And I think on Facebook maybe it was that picture of Obama dressed as Ramesses from uh, the um... – Ten Commandments. Yeah, they're really, yeah, there's some people who really aren't very happy about that. <laughs> <laughs> so it is written, so it shall be done. You know. Yeah. Um, no, in any case, um, just my my fear is that people, no matter who they are, can be corrupted, 
and that groups, anything larger than just a couple of people, you're going to have some people who are real stalwarts and have integrity and have honor, but you're also going to have some scoundrels, some scalawags, some thieves, some crooks. That's any group. I don't care what group it is. Oh, I, I I understand. So let's go ahead and uh, talk about equal time. Let's go ahead and I, give uh, Charles think, uh, an opportunity I need to one, chime one, in. One minute when, when he gets through. I need one minute because I, I, I do have another appointment. I need one minute when he gets through. That's all I need. Well, let's, okay, Charles, uh, is that okay? We'll give, have her one minute, and I'd, I'd really like to bring you in. Yeah, yeah, give me one minute, and then you can bring You know, me. with Miss Timmons, I think that you have to let her speak, and, but I'm glad you're you're controlling it the way you are because I think it's important that everybody gets an opportunity. But, yeah, uh, her comments are valid, and so is Dan's comments. Mm-hmm. And so you got to go back and find out what year was it um, that a senator was arrested and that's kind of what I'm researching while you guys are talking now. So go ahead. Okay. Only thing I got to say to Dan, I'm going to take one minute. Everything he said does nothing but advances anarchy, anarchy, insurrection, and this uh, mutiny. The, the, the Constitution has been mutinied 40 years ago. We know, I know when it happened. So when you say things like uh, force people, because it says Congress shall have the power to declare war, grant letters of marquee and reprisal, and to make rules concerning captures on land and water. And number 15 says that it provides for calling for the militia to execute the laws of the Union to suppress insurrections, which what's going on right now, the Constitution has been insurrected for 40 years, and we they're supposed to repel invasion. They're not going to do it by walking up to somebody, giving them an ice cream cone. you got to walk up to somebody and say, I'm the law. Where's your ID? You don't have it. Oh, I may have to take you to jail. If you got ID to show who you are, you're going to get a ticket. If you don't have anything at all, you're going to jail. This is what the Constitution says. Anything else, the stuff we've been doing for 40 years is what brought us into this. Before that, people came to America by the tens of millions under the Constitution, and we never had any trouble. Ever since the, the Democrats 40 years ago Start this comprehensive stuff where they come over here and take the jobs. The Europeans invented all the jobs. Ain't no nobody below that border from Cuba or Mexico. Not they never invented nothing. And now they're taking the jobs from the Europeans' descendants. I'm even calling for. I need a recompensation of the of the the money to that to their. Uh, Descendants, because when the Republicans come in, they're supposed to stop all federal entitlements. That's trillions of dollars, and I need them to return some of that money back to the Europeans' children and the African Americans and retrain them, and so they can work. And guess what? On the Article Four, Section Two, anybody in the United States can bump any non-citizen off of a job. All these things are going to happen. I'm sorry, Dan, but we don't had too much of this. If we don't straighten it out now. The census say give them about 15 or 20 years, and they, it won't be no white people doing nothing. You need to go online to Brown Berets and see what they're telling you. They're telling you, you old white people, it's your duty to die. We have beaten you like rats, and we're going to have our love of having babies and legislation. We're going to take you over, and they got scores of university professors 
signing up and writing stuff to help them, and it's horrible. And then they got legislators. So what we got going on here by the fact that the universities and the colleges and elected and administrative officials are helping this bad group, that makes it genocide. That's what they got planned for the white people. And I hear it every day down here in Florida where I live. And so ain't no need you feeling sorry for them because if they take over, you're going to find out you think it's bad now. And I'm telling you, this is the last year that Christine Chimmer is going to put up with this. If those are tooth and nail, because then they would become the new insurrectionists. You you don't even need no three parties. All you need is one party just to follow everything in the Constitution. You won't get in no trouble. You won't. It was written to save us from being destroyed from within, but they took it out of the schools. So people like Dan don't know what you're talking about. None of the stuff they've written for the last 40 years ain't what the paper's written on. It's all an anarchy and an uprising and an insurrection of the U.S. Constitution, and that's all I got to say tonight because I can't stand it. When I hear insurrection, anarchy from people who don't know no better, it just it hurts me all the way down to my toes because I'd be feeling sorry for people. That's the Democrats, how they got you trained and brainwashed. You've got to remember, Democrats stem from the Communist Party. So they got you all brainwashed, and they're saying, oh, if I do that, I'll be fortune-damned. When you read the Constitution, it tells you better, and yet you better do it. And even the Bible, like this is the last final thing I'm going to say, Mr. Valentine quotes the Bible. But here, here this is the, the Constitution is the Word of God written by men of God. The men who wrote the U.S. Constitution were fleeing King George, and the Church of England, they wanted to do things by God. That's who wrote this Constitution. The Constitution is just an extension of the Bible. And if you don't do what's in it, we're in trouble, Dan. I'm sorry, but you need to call me so we can have a personal conversation. You need to go over all these clauses, and you'll see why I got the, so much fire and so much power. I got the Word of God coming through me. I get goosebumps and I shiver. I talked with a man the other day in Denny's, a congressional candidate, and when he heard and read all this stuff, he started crying. He said, I knew it was here. I knew it was here. When he saw all that, he said, they can't do this to us. And he's ready to, to go out there and do battle. See, God is gathering his army together now. You're going to be in the army of God. You can't play with them people no more. They hate you. They don't like white people. They can't stand black people. They're not against the blacks. They want, they like their music. But white people, they don't like you at all, I'm telling you. And it's not the older people. The older people are really from Spain. The people that they're saying Spanish, now the Cubans and the Mexicans and, and the Ecuadorians, when the people came here from Spain, they were the Spanish noblemen. They tried to civilize them, but it didn't work. So when you sit here now and call them kind of people Spanish over in Spain, they mad at Americans right now for including those people. I ain't going to tell you what they call them. They're not Spanish. Spanish were the original noblemen of the world, the whitest men in the world. That's where the, the terminology bluebird comes from. And you can do this on the computer. They were so white, they bragged about you to see their blue veins. The reason they turned brown is they met the beautiful uh, 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 women of the black moors and Othello and Aida. That's how they got the color they are. They are noble. These people come from Cuba and all them places, they're Hispanic. They're Hispanic, Cuban, Peruvian, pagans. 
And that's all I got to say. The Constitution <laughs> is the word of God. And now I have an appointment, and so uh, I-, I will talk to you guys later. Hello? Well, here, wow. we're, we're here, Christine. Oh, oh I, I said I, I do have an appointment, so uh, I hope you, uh, no one is thinking I'm trying to be mean, and I'm not against immigrants. I'm trying to fix it so they can't be deported. Once they register with the state, the United States can't bother them. That's why Congress has got to do as they're told. The, the Constitution, okay. the people who wrote it, they require them to do that. And if they don't want to do as the Constitution requires, then they're the same insurrectionists and anarchists that we got that, that we had for 40 years. Now, if they can write up some immigration, but if, if they do, then they're insurrectionists. They don't have the power to do it. It's not written in the U.S. Constitution for Congress to speak to nobody but citizens and those properly naturalized under the Constitution. End of that story. End of the Democrats brainwashing you people. They're former communists. You've been brainwashed. So uh, y'all have a good rest of the evening. And my phone number is 954-770-4940. If you want to do some one-on-ones, then I'd be happy to talk to you so you can get a full understanding of what the, the founding fathers left. There comes a time, even the Bible tells you, there's a time when you've got to, to beat your plowshares and the swords. This is it. But we don't have to use swords. God also say, come on with the word. we got the word to stop everything, and they know it. They're praying that you don't learn this. You think they want to go back to state rooms where they don't get any cash, but they know it can happen. I even read an article where some of them are preparing to go okay. back if this happens. So I got to run. Okay. I got to run. So so just give me a call. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Christine. I appreciate you. I appreciate you coming to the show again, and uh, and we'll 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 talk again soon. And then uh, Charles, uh, we we do I do want to bring you back in. I want to bring Dan, and we also have a Skype caller. So I'm going to do some uh, call screening and uh, go ahead and see where our Skype caller is calling from and uh, what they'd like to talk about tonight. Get their name. Uh, So. I uh, want to bring it back over to you, Charles, and then Dan. Uh, I'll have you uh, chime in as well. And so, Charles, go ahead, and then Dan, and I'm going to be back, folks, in a moment. I'm just going to do a little call screening here uh, for our Skype caller. Go ahead. Yeah, this Hello. is Dr. Tolbert again. Yeah, I just want to give you a little background. I'm a retired master sergeant. I served 22 years. I'm a doctor of education, and I'm a pastor for, since 1999. So, there's my background, how I got to where I am right now, and that, you know, we were on the ballot in 2010 for President of the United States. Florida loses our documents for electoral votes, so our votes would be counted. We ran for governor of Florida. We had 60,000 petitions signed. We had 400,000 people, members on our blog. We traveled through 50 uh, well, we traveled through the 67 voting districts of Florida. We made 50 different meetings. Fox News had us as a write-in candidate at 14% of the votes. The leadership Florida that did the debate had us at 14% but said we couldn't debate because they moved the number to 15. Florida pulled 5.9 million people out of 11 million total voters for the governor race, which was better than 50%, which was 
higher than the 33% of the total votes polled by all the other states. So that meant the governor of Florida's received 1.9 million votes more. In so doing, we accounted for only 82 votes out of all the work we did for 14 months because we refused to spend money to put our name on the ballot. And there was actions by the state of Florida of should have been a recount because anything under 1% had to be recounted. It ended up that Scott won by 1.1. Now, having said that, the problem we're having is that what Ms. Timmon is saying is all a reflection of the lack of the state of Florida following the U.S. Constitution, the lack of Congress following the, the Constitution, and that there are individuals that believe, and I'm looking at in 18, uh, where's it at here? Back in the 1800s, Congress had a right to arrest under the contempt of Congress, and they would then refer certain items over to the attorney general who then could arrest and and uh, hold that member of Congress in contempt. And that, the last time it was done, it was in 1934, and then there was a debate whether or not Congress could, in fact, uh, have power over the executive branch under Article One and Article Two, which Ms. Timmons was covering, and that what they did, they uh, diluted the Constitution, given the President of the United States power outside of the Constitution, which now has allowed Obama to do what he's doing. And so when we all take the Constitution and we dilute it or look at there were things that's passed, we got to realize anything that was passed that is not constitutionally correct is not really or can be considered even an amendment unless it's in the Constitution. So I'm going to just kind of leave that there and let you guys play on that for a minute. Well, with Dan, we'll go ahead and uh, have you uh, chime in, and then we have Naj on the line, uh, so we'd like to get him in as well. And so go ahead, Dan, and then we'll bring in Naj. Go ahead. I appreciate uh, the the history lesson. I was unaware of that, and that is uh, it's good to know. And there's an awful lot of history, and there's an awful lot of um, righteous thinking that's going on here. However, I'm I'm a bit of a realist, even though I I dream too, and I want things to be right. There is a time and a place for everything, and violence is not acceptable. So, the idea that we're going to I and I, I have. Like I was saying before the the mic cut off uh, earlier, I have friends and close associates in just about every camp of the liberty movement, left to right, top to bottom, front to center, organized to completely chaotic, and they're all really good people, and I wouldn't trust any one of them with power. I wouldn't trust myself with power, not unless that power is carefully checked. And in every one of these groups, even though there are, as I was saying before, some really stalwart people, some really honorable people, some people who uh, really check themselves as much as possible and try very, very hard to, to toe that very careful line of what is proper and correct and not to step off of that 
and to correct themselves if they do. There is in every single group an element of of craziness. Every single group, and this is on all sides, has scoundrels, scalawags, and criminals, people who want to get something for themselves, or people who are simply tempted and don't even know what they would do if they had that power. So the fact that we have weapons, for instance, is a good thing. I don't want us to be disarmed. That would mean we lose. But the fact that we have them not only means we can't win, but it might mean, and this is what I'm working for, against the people who I will characterize as a bit too hot-headed, and I'm a pretty much a hothead myself, so I'm, I stand accused, um, that having them means I don't have to use them. Look, when I walk down the street, I'm a tall guy. I've got an assertive walk. I've studied martial arts for over 40 years. I have a stick that I walk with because I have to. It helps me walk. And I don't even need a weapon. And I can go anywhere. I mean, I can go in the projects. I can go into the barrio. I can go into the, the worst situations that I have when I have had reason to. Nobody messes with me because they'll get that look in the eye and they know it's going to cost them more than they could possibly get, maybe everything, if they mess with me. And that's good. Having it means I don't have to use it. Even though I'm very good at that violence, I have friends in the militia, some of whom are, are, are extremely well-trained veterans with honed skills, and every one of them does not want to use those skills. They don't want to snipe. They don't want to assault. They don't want to go up against authorities or against gangs. The whole idea is this, folks. We have to tread a very careful line here. We want to restore the Constitution but we cannot do it instantaneously without everything falling apart and without there being open warfare. What we need to do is restore the key portions of the Constitution. And the best way to do it, for instance, with the Second Amendment, is by simply not following, by nullifying ourselves those unconstitutional laws. And then by, in, with the 2014 Congress and Senate, not passing spending laws that allow the, the executive to do things. They won't have the funding to do it. They can't just simply make up the funds. If they try that, that is so clearly off that they might as well just declare themselves to be kings. The next step after that, and we'll need a president for this, we can't just have both houses of Congress, we need a president, is to repudiate any foreign treaties that erode our sovereignty and to remove regulation. The president and any administration, whether it's a state or a local administration, um, the executive rights regulations based on laws that were passed, the state, uh, the executive cannot make law. Obama can't make law. He's doing it. He can't. He's not allowed to. But he can make regulations based on the law. I work in it at the unemployment office. The unemployment laws are fairly short and fairly clear and fairly simple. The regulations based on those laws are not necessarily short, clear, or simple, and there's an awful lot of them. The administration has complete power of regulation as long as it's within accordance to the law. So the next president can make a huge difference by simply saying, well, We've got our, our expert commission of uh, liberty people and uh, experts in the field, and they're going to go over regulations in, let's say, environmental protection or in uh, education or in uh, health care or any other thing, and we're going to streamline 
And so as long as they, they keep any regulation that deals with waste, with fraud, with uh, actual violence, then great. And they can get rid of the rest of them. They, they have the power to do this. Look, I know everybody is really anxious, and some of us have been fighting an awful long time to restore liberty. However, you've got to be a little bit patient and look at what works and what's going to get us there. Okay? We can do this. It might take us, it took us this long to get to 2014. 2016 is coming. Then we've got four years, four years to make a huge difference. At the end of the four years, this will not be utopia any more than the progressives' promise of utopia is real. Our promise of a founder's utopia, something exactly in alignment with what they wanted, is not real. We'll never reach it, but we can get awfully damn close and keep reaching towards that to be that shining city on a hill. And the, within four years of a new administration, this country could be the envy of the world. And a second term, four more years, we'd be pretty much insulated, protected from tyranny for a good generation, provided we don't let up even at that point. We can turn this country to a point where the statists and the, the people who want to be elites who want to run things, they'll have another hundred-year task to try and take us down the way the progressives have done over the last hundred years. Over to you, Bob. Well, again, since oh, Bob's we've got not on our... There you are, Bob. Oh, I'm here. Okay. So I'm here. I'm just going to... No, I'm here, folks. I'm just uh, going to go ahead and bring uh, one of our callers in, and that is Naj, and has waited patiently on the line. And thank you very much, Naj, for calling to the show. How are you tonight? I'm doing well. Evening, gentlemen. Evening. Good. And where are you calling from? Uh, I'm in Atlanta. Atlanta? That's right. That's right. You told me that uh, when I did the call training from Atlanta. Welcome to the show. Uh, Yeah, thanks thanks for letting me on uh, to speak to you guys. Uh, I guess the first thing I'm going to say – kind of tying into the things that are going on right now and the, and the topic you have as the header. I'm surprised at the shock in America right now. Uh, yesterday, or the day before yesterday, I'm surprised uh, that black people were shocked that there was no indictment. I was surprised that black people were, uh, were not pretty much ready for that. And I'm, as far as the conservative side, I am surprised that they were shocked about the immigration bills. Like, you saw this coming down the pike. You knew he was going to do yeah. it. And you know that the Republican side, who thinks politically and not morally, is not going to address it because they want those votes later on down the line, too. So they're not going to address it forcefully. And we have this whole idea of sitting around waiting for things to happen and then reacting. Uh, you guys have brought up the Constitution a lot tonight. A lot. Now, of course, one of the greatest documents ever written. The problem is uh, power decides what law or what basis for order in a society and how it's enforced. And we really have to take a long look at that and stop saying the Constitution says this. Well, it doesn't matter if you don't have the power to sway the people uh, who are in control to decide what's what. So it, it, it's kind of like uh, if, you, if you thought of uh, Russia to where, of course, it's law on their books that you can't kill a journalist. Does Putin care about that law on the books? 
No, because he has power, and he uses that power in any way uh, he feels necessary. And the idea that you're going to be able to bring up a piece of paper and point to it and say this says this, I, I, I think we're, we're just living in fantasy land when we do that. Now, when I say if we start getting uh, groups galvanized and saying, look, we're going to be behind this Constitution, and we, this huge swath of people, are saying we want this enforced, we want that enforced, then you're talking about a whole different ball game. Then, then, I'm, then I'm with you. Then you're saying, okay, yes, this is real, this is real policy, this is real uh, strength in numbers, and this is something that we can actually do. But I just don't want people to think that just because we have a great document that that document will be enforced by people whose power depends on that document not being enforced. So I, that, that's, that's my disconnect with everybody right now. So when I see the conservative side and I see people yelling at rhinos and I see the Tea Party and uh, uh, old school conservatives all not getting along, I just say, okay, that's a divided party and a divided uh, ideology and now they have no power. And then I look on the side of the left, and you see the leftists, and you see the people who are Democrats for life, and then you see the liberals, and you say, okay, they're split as well. You got liberals apologizing for, Democrat, uh, for Obama. You got leftists calling Obama out, so they're pushed out to the outside. They have no say in what happens, and everything goes on. Goes on. So we just have so many different factions in America right now that we don't have any group that can actually wield any power, and everything that we actually get done is only for a season. There's things that can be taken away, uh, things that can be discredited through the media, and things that we just—I I don't, I don't even know what to say about a people like us as far as Americans right now. I, I just don't. Well, what do you tell a people like this that that is determined not to? use common sense and, and force their way to make their government and the huge corporations who run this country uh, actually address their needs. And, and, and Naj, that is the thing that amazes me. Go you're ahead, Well, tell you what, Naj, uh, before, before, you, before you go, Dan, and I'll just make a, a brief comment, is, Naj, I have to say uh, that was very well said. <laughs> you, you hit so many More points. More than that. The nail on the head, very well said. Um, I certainly hope more than that. That, uh, that is genius. You, know, you can come back and talk like that more on the show. Go ahead, Dan. I was just going to say it's genius. The, the the question that you left us with, Nash, though, is what do you say about a people like that? Um, well, the vast majority of the people in any group in any nation at any time in history are not leaders. It's not that they're bad. It's just that that's not what they do. They need leaders, and leaders are stepping up. All those people who did not want power, all those people who were not interested, who were busy with their lives, who can't stand the, the stink of politics and the, the, the nastiness of it, are now realizing that they have to. And across, I, I'm not sure how it goes locally in Atlanta, but locally here and locally in a lot of places that I am in touch with. Because Atlanta is, yeah, it's, it's 1,500 miles away, so I'm not – really, really up on the, the smaller races down there. The, the big ones, sure, I see the, the national press and the alternative press on it. But locally, we're getting all kinds of great men and women of ordinary backgrounds, non-lawyers, to step up. And this latest majority that was elected nationally, and if you look at them, many of them are not professional politicians. They're not long-term stalwarts of a party. They're not lawyers. They're not cronies. And the people who are in are going to try and corrupt them. It's our job to support them. 
the people will follow leadership. They're desperate for leadership. When things are going great, they, it's, it's not that hard to follow a Pied Piper who offers some pie in the sky when they die, who offers some sweetness and light, and, you know, had easy times, welfare benefits, hey, you know, earned income credits, all kinds of great stuff. But things aren't great now. And people realize that you can't keep pulling out of a purse that's empty. It's empty. There's no money in the federal treasury. We are 17-plus trillion dollars in debt. We, that's more than we make in a year. You can't survive going on like that. You can't. Where is the money going to come from? Redistribution, redistribute every bit of wealth that exists in this country, and all you're going to end up is destroying wealth, destroying everything, because there won't be anything left. Everyone will get a small share of nothing. So, Naj, where are the American people? What's the matter with them? They're just waking up now. Most of them, unlike you, unlike many of our listeners, really didn't think too much about this stuff five years ago. Even though there were people talking about this stuff 30 years ago and 40 years ago and 50 years ago, most people weren't even aware of it. They didn't want to know about it. They weren't capable. They weren't ready to hear any of it. And now they are. And I'll give you perfectly good examples if you just look at the rising stars of the liberty movement. I won't call them conservatives because there are liberals in there, too. But the people who are interested in liberty, in restoring the Constitution, that were voices in the wilderness, you know, yelling at a wall, hearing their own echo, hearing silence, hearing a very, very few uh, people who were with them, now... Thousands, tens of thousands are listening to them, and they're all saying, huh, that's what I like. But more than that, they're thinking. Now, the, the vast majority of the people in this country are, are still going to be easily swayed. They're going to be watching NASCAR and football and dancing with the stars and all kinds of great entertainment stuff. And they're going to mm-hmm. be, you know, I'm on Twitter, and i got all these, you know, over 12,000 followers, and I see some new person, and I go, wow, I wonder what they're about to decide if there's somebody worth following, if there's somebody for the liberty movement. And I look, and, and here's this person who writes about, uh, you know, hip-hop or uh, cute cat stories or, you know, pornography or just total stuff that I don't particularly see a lot of value in personally. It's just a personal choice. And they got 50,000, 60,000, 80,000 followers. And for a while, it got frustrating. I would go, why? But then I realized the quality of the people who are following what I'm saying and the, people, the quality of the people that I'm following is worth more. And if you look at uh, another great analogy for this would be um, elite military units like the Navy SEALs or the Israeli military. Um, one of them is worth 100, more than 100 of the other of the the enemy because they are dedicated, trained, they think, they know what the heck they're doing. They're leaders, okay? In in any group of 100 men in combat right now in Afghanistan or anywhere else, uh, there's uh, 30 of them, 40 of them shouldn't even be there. They they really don't belong in combat. And uh, a whole bunch of them are there. They, They may actually fire their weapon. They may actually fire it in the right direction. They may actually aim their weapon and fire it at the enemy. Um, there will be, out of 100, perhaps 5 or 10 who are real fighters. And they'll make sure there's a fight. But generally, you're lucky if you've got one who is a true leader, who understands the, the, the strategy 
and the tactics and the changing uh, situations on the battlefield and who can change what they do to match what is happening and can anticipate what will happen. And that one person makes the battle. And those one, that, that small percent, and I think it's like they say it's 3% of the people, the, that small dedicated band of, of discontents, of, of angry people who are, are determined, they're going to make all the difference. And, and Naj, um, you're one of them. I, 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 if you're not writing right now or uh, speaking regularly or running for office, I urge you to do whichever of those things, if not all of those things, that uh, that seem right to your life. Look, man, I, I, I appreciate the compliment, but at this point in my life, five years ago, maybe. But at this point in my life, as I look around at these things, it, it, it's hard to even muster up the idea that you're going to change the minds of people who've, uh, who've been psychologically damaged. And, and I'm not saying that uh, lightly because I understand what PTSD is. So I'm not making light of that. I'm just talking about people who have been trained by mass media to only look at issues from one standpoint and only continue to search for information that fits that standpoint. So we have a whole lot of people who never grew. Everything that they know is based on their side their story, and they frame every issue, every opinion, every idea from that uh, narrative. And, and once you have that, you can drive the people left or right or whatever you want to by based on news stories. So, And I'm saying this to two people who sound like they're on fire and excited, so I don't want to, you know what I mean, throw water on your fire, but I'm, I'm just talking about just in general, just me looking at it and, and just wondering, uh, okay, how do we... How do we corral this whole thing? How do we get this thing going better? It's like uh, there, are, uh, there are a lot of things that we agree on. You guys are more conservative than I am. There are a lot of things that we agree on. But if we start talking about racial issues or Ferguson, we'll disagree on those. And typically in America, just because of how people have been trained by watching the news and watching debates on the news, uh, we can't have a conversation because we start to insult each other and yell and those differences divide us and stop us from reaching the things that we agree on. Now, how can do I, we figure out how to mend that? that that's my issue here. Can I interject Dan, something? This is Dr. Tolkien. Actually, here. I was going to bring you in, Charles. Go ahead. I was hoping that I was, I was hoping yeah, to let me, let me just kind of address. Let me, let me kind of address all this a little bit. I come from a family where two sisters committed suicide. You know, they, they, uh, I left home at 17. I served with the Navy SEALs in Vietnam. Uh, I was in the U.S. Army. I I was in the plans office when we went into Iran with our helicopters. I have that leadership background of, of doing all that. I did not get even a high school education until 1990s. I'm 72 years old. In the last 10 years, I was a caregiver for three women. I have been married to multiracial individuals. Uh, I have got my two masters and my doctor degree all in the last 10 years. Miss Timmons is an African-American woman that works with me. Um, in the Army when I was there, uh, we had the African-Americans come to me and say, uh, First Sergeant, uh, tonight there's going to be a problem. What can we do? I would take their families, the interracial groups that we had, we went out, we, we had our barbecues, we had our meetings, 
We did our communications. We sat down and talked. I write articles on ethics. I write articles on Common Core. I write articles uh, about the Constitution. And the answer to your question is, I am now 72. What am I doing running for president, running for Congress, running for Senate, other than the credentials and credibility it gives to change America? One voice, one person in the Bible changed history. One voice, one person in America like Miss Timmons, myself, any of you three that are on the show tonight can change the course of history. You have to be dedicated to it. You have to have the desire to do it. And you have to have the will to overcome all the negative things. Articles on what is a conservative, what is a libertine. Go to the website because people are going to call you one or the other when you're neither. You have to stand for your principles. You cannot stand for the principles of a conservative. You cannot stand for the principles of a libertarian. You must stand for your own principles. If you're going to bring America back, you're going to have to get a third political party that has strength. It's going to have to be a party of the people. It's going to have to be a party that you're not being bought out. We proved in Florida that politics is dirty. We proved it by not taking donations. We proved it by the tens of thousands of signatures that we got and yet only came through with 82 votes. We prove every day that we can lose, but a loser is one that does not try. A person that goes out is willing to save America, willing to bring God back to America, willing to recognize it takes all race, creed, color, and even sexual preferences to bring America back in hold and to follow the Constitution, to make sure that we don't violate Again, those things that, yeah, you're right. You can't change everything. There cannot be a physical uprising. But what there can be, there can be a group of people, as Martin Luther King did, as other people have done. They brought America back into where they belong by one voice, one person, and then a group getting together, voicing their concern with passion and desire to save America. Now, my job, my only assignment, is to bring God back to America, bring America back into its right where it belongs, make it an industrial, powerful country, to take and bring the American dollars back, to eliminate the IRS, to show that we, the people of the United States, run this country. Congress does not run this country. The president does not run this country. The Supreme Court does not run this country. The constitutional clearly states it is the states of a federalism that runs the country, and it's the people of each state that runs the country. When the people, the 319 million people, stand up, we will not fail. Greece has less than half the population of Florida. The man that got elected agreed to give an extra welfare check. Greece went bankruptcy because of their welfare programs and what they're doing. America is being bought out by third world countries. We're being destroyed by the immigration programs. We either have to stand up and take it back. We have to stand up as brothers and sisters 
We cannot save America as a white group, as a, as, as a black group, as an Hispanic group, as a European group. We have to stand and hold hands together. We have to work together. Ferguson should never have happened to begin with because of the ethics of our police departments not being followed. They're not being trained. They're not realizing their responsibility. It is not one city. It is all the cities of America who have been pitted against each other. And as long as we are not united as one group of Americans, we will fail. But when all races and ethnicities stand together for the principles of America, we will take America back. You know, and you make a good point, Charles, and that's one of the things I want to talk talk about tonight. (coughs) Excuse me. Is that, you know, I was watching one of the different protests throughout the country, you know, with what's going on in, in Ferguson. And, you know, re- regardless of what side uh, you're on in, in that issue, whether you believe that uh, he should have been indicted or not, uh, whether or not you believe that there should have been, you know, you know, the riots are justified. Personally, I don't think that the riots are justified. I mean that no matter what happens, and if you disagree with the verdict, I understand being upset, but destroying other people's property – and, you know, looting and stealing other people's property, I just don't find any justification for that, especially people that are destroying their own neighborhoods or, or people from the outside destroying people's neighborhoods and businesses and things of that nature. There's just, in my opinion, no justification. Yeah, but see, uh, and, and that's <clears throat> that's what I was I was trying to say, and that, and that's what I mean by the news media. When the news media shows you the people who actually burned something or threw something or attacked uh, property – and not show you the people who acted with organizational discipline and had a rally, and after they didn't like the verdict, they went home or they went and held a vigil. Those people weren't on camera. Why? Because if you show the fire, that's what gets you clicks, that's what gets you views, and that's what they're going to show. Now, we as American people, if we take that narrative that they give us and discuss it in that way, then we've not only ruined a, a good teaching moment, We've also decided that the young folks' voices are not credible. And any time an older generation decides not to listen to the young folk, uh, not only do you have hypocrisy, but but you're talking about a ruined republic. So we really have to get our stuff in order and start talking to these young folk and understand where they're coming from. So, yeah, of course, property damage, of course. Nobody's going to go out there and say, yeah, you should damage property. But we also do have to understand when people go to the law and the law provides different safety nets and different treatment of different people, uh, there will be an uprising. That, that, that's, not, that's not something that was hard to predict. But you know, you know, no, I mean, a lot of that uprising was by outside influences of people coming into Ferguson that were yeah, not there, there are a few communist groups there, there are a few anarchist groups there, they painted their anarchist symbol on a few they walls. They came out of California. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I know about right. those. See, I've watched right. the live streams. I haven't watched mass media in, in understanding Ferguson. I watch the live streams because there's no edits. You just get to watch what's going on and hear the people saying what's going on. So that, that's right. the perspective I took from it because I knew better than to watch the media because I know they can't be trusted. They're not good at their jobs. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, I was watching that live stream uh, because you don't have enough knowledge on one side or the other until you're actually physically 
get to view all the evidence to make a determination, and the people of Ferguson are actually handling it properly. They haven't lost any lives as we did with the problems in California when we lost 60-some lives during the uprising. There were some property and things destroyed in Ferguson, but it was not on the large scale as the press is trying to make out to you. Yeah, $5 million worth of damage in Ferguson. There was a billion dollars worth of damage during the King Rides. Yeah, huge difference. Yeah, so, you know, when you look at the the comparison and how the press is did in everything that goes on around us, it is really uh, one of the areas that we're trying to get back to the truth in, in, in the press and their problems and how in 1934 they changed the right of authority where the press could make their own news and people could not voice their opinion. And so this is what's happening in Ferguson. The press is making news and creating news rather than reporting news. Yep, got to get those views, got to get those clicks. Exactly. (laughs) I'm watching the live stream. There was a a woman chatting. I I think she's, uh, she's either black or mixed race. She's from Ferguson. And uh, she's often on, I, I'm spacing on her name right now, but uh, she's often on um, InfoWars, just live stream reporter. Really, really good. And she's local in Ferguson. Everyone knows her there. So as she's taking pictures of uh, looting, as she's taking pictures of fires um, and commenting, and she's very upset about this. She doesn't want to see this happening in her community. All these people, uh, primarily Black residents of Ferguson are are stopping by, not all, but primarily, and they're telling her what's going on. They're reporting what's happening in other areas since they're driving around. And they're say the one said, "Look, we know who's setting the fires. We got their license tags and pictures of their faces. They're they've all got Illinois tags. Remember, Ferguson is in uh, Missouri. Uh, sure. right. They're going to turn them into the authorities. The feds aren't going to do anything about this. I want to tell a very short story." about what actually happened in Philadelphia that I was party to, that I, I was right next to uh, back in the 80s. Uh, there was a fellow on the force, uh, in, and I was working at police headquarters during the time uh, in the radio room, which is where you go if you get in trouble because it gets you off the streets and you can still be working. Uh, and he kept getting sent up to the radio room. This fellow's name is Ron Hester. He was a police officer at the time. And uh, Ron was on what was called the stakeout squad back in uh, those days uh, in Philly. Uh, That was their version of the SWAT team. And they were going after, you know, like violent bank robbers, the type who would take over a bank, that sort of thing. So he had the misfortune of having shot people more than one time. He just was in the – deliberately they put him in the wrong place at the wrong time, and he did what he needed to do. He was always cleared because – what he did was actually righteous, not because anyone covered anything up. I know the details. If it wasn't righteous, I would say so. So he shoots another guy. He's up in the radio room. Uh, he's with me for a couple of months, and they put him back on the street. Wouldn't you know it, his first week out, he's in the projects in Philadelphia, just into South Philly, and a car does a California stop at a stop sign, doesn't come to a complete stop. He puts his lights on, pulls a car over, and this guy in the car whose name was Demetrius Davis, uh, 18 years old, not a boy, a man, a young man. And, and I'll tell everybody, when I was 18, I was a thug, and the stuff I'd done could have ended up getting me shot, which would have been a tragedy for my family, but not necessarily a crime given the crap that I was pulling. 
In any case, Demetrius Davis grabs up a gun from under the seat. His pants are loosened and crack vials. This is the beginning of the crack epidemic uh, in this country. So are pouring out of his shorts. All right. And he runs down the street with this gun and crack vials trailing him. And Ron takes off after him on foot pursuit. I mean, they're running full bore, hell bent for leather. And Ron is just catching up to him and gives him a tiny shove. The guy, Demetrius, goes into a chain link fence. This is all completely vetted information. You can find it still. It's still out there on the web. You have to look in archives. Demetrius hits the fence, turns, and brings his gun up. Ron clears leather and shoots once and puts one shot, center of mass, point-blank range, into Demetrius Davis's torso, and Demetrius Davis dropped dead on the spot. And I happened to be on the phones that night instead of dispatching the cops because they were shorthanded. So I'm listening, and, I, and Philly's a big city. It's, it's geographically big. And I'm hearing people, because this had just hit the news at 11 o'clock, from 15 miles away, 20 miles away, saying that what just happened five minutes ago, they're an eyewitness, and they saw that racist white officer shoot that poor black child, because that's what was on the news. And this went on, and this went on. Uh, He was cleared by the shooting team, cleared by uh, internal affairs, cleared by the district attorneys, cleared by a grand jury, cleared by the feds. Sharpton came to town. Jackson came to town. They had tried to incite a riot. It didn't work. Philly did not want anything to do with it at that time. And the thing about Ron Hester that you have to realize, if you ever met him, you could not forget him. Even these decades later, he still has a physique. He's a former Mr. Pennsylvania. His, his waist is tiny. His shoulders are huge. And his arms, I mean, are like tree trunks. The guy is a built, and he is a deep chocolate brown. My friend, Ron Hester, the guy who taught me how to shoot properly, is uh, an African-American guy who is serving his community. And Demetrius Davis, this 18-year-old black child, had priors going back into his childhood of felonies. And again, I'm not saying that he couldn't have turned out right. That kid, Mike Brown, that, that big guy, he was not a gentle giant. There's plenty of information to show that he was a thug. He just committed a strong-arm robbery just minutes before I was a bad kid. I didn't turn out that bad after all these years. And it's, it was an iffy thing. A lot of my friends, they didn't make it. A lot of people I hung out with went to jail or got killed or had their lives ruined with drugs. And it, it's not a uh, foregone conclusion. I have other kids I grew up with who were straight arrow who ruined their lives. You never know how someone's going to turn out. And it is a tragedy that that young man is never going to have a chance to do something good for his community. But based on all the evidence, I don't understand why they chose Ferguson except that they needed something convenient. There are instances, unfortunately, in this country where... This is getting problematic. Let me just just finish real quick. I mean, but you're laying out a whole lot of stuff that not only is not substantiated, you're laying out things that... Well, I mean, Let me oh, finish go ahead, real man. quick. Go ahead. Right, oh, yeah, yeah, that's how we will finish, and then, and then we'll bring it back in, Rod, because we don't, you know, we, we don't talk over people here. Cause now, I, they do that on those other talk shows, and I don't like that. So go ahead, Dan, and then we'll bring it back in, right. Rod. I am not basing what Dan. I said about the situation in Ferguson on any na- uh, national media. I'm basing this on direct 
information that I've been getting as closely as I can research it off the alternative sources on the web. And I could be wrong, but the grand jury seems to think that I, what I, I have just said is correct. And I'm going to say what the grand jury did is correct because the grand jury did what they did, and that's the legal process. There are plenty of instances, unfortunately, in this country where state power and authority, whether it's federal, state, or local, where police officers or others with the color of authority, with a badge, with a gun, have committed tremendous atrocities. I've seen these things happen. In Philadelphia, these things happened back in those days. They arrested and indicted on federal charges an entire police district for setting people up and giving false testimony if they wouldn't pay a street tax, they would put them in jail and call them drug dealers. This was terrible. And they did target people who were uh, uh, you know, primarily non-white because they were targeting an area that was poor where these people couldn't afford lawyers and didn't have any sort of resources. So why they chose Ferguson, I don't know. They could have chosen yeah, another yeah. Okay. First and of I don't all, think you're, it's you're, about race because no, no, I've seen well, plenty just, of just white let kids me, get shot. Please brown let me get kids in. get shot. Go ahead, Nas. <laughs> okay. Go ahead, Nas. Okay. For, first of all, the, the long story you told about your friend. That's called anecdotal. That's a friend of yours that had a situation that has nothing to do with anybody else's situation. So it's like statistically you can't compare one story and say this story seems somewhat similar. Therefore, they're both the same. That that's it not how had, the world uh, works. What's his face? Uh, no, uh, no we said no interruption. We said no interruption. Go ahead. Let, let, let him yes, go, sir. Dan. And then we'll okay, so so that story you gave about your friend, your friend could be completely innocent, as you say. That has nothing to do with the story in Ferguson. You brought up, I don't know why they're doing this in Ferguson, as if there's some type of agenda to create a, a firestorm in Ferguson. No. You have a situation where you have a 68% black population with a 94% white police force. That's not acceptable in any demographic anywhere. And I'm not just talking black and white. If it was reversed, it still would be unacceptable. White, white citizens shouldn't stand for that because that's not acceptable in today's America when you consider how divided these groups are. It's not a good idea to give one group this cluster of power. So when you watch McCullough, who's uh, supposed to be a prosecutor, as a prosecutor you're supposed to make the case so we can go to trial. And then once we go to trial, then we're talking about, okay, let's figure out what's going on here. But in McCullough, what you had was he said he didn't want to be involved. Now, you read his backstory and find out his father, who was a policeman, was killed by a black man. Now, the governor of Missouri, Jay Nixon, couldn't, uh, I guess, use enough political power to get this guy to recuse himself, and he didn't have the integrity to recuse himself, so he just handled the case badly from day one. And then you go to the day of uh, announcement, to where this man says, we're going to make the announcement at 8 p.m. Why? Who knows? It makes no sense uh, logistically, and it makes no sense as far as being able to handle what's going on. Then he goes into this long speech, speaking to people who support him, not speaking to uh, the general public. He made the argument for Darren Wilson as if he was Darren Wilson's lawyer. So you sat there and listened to this man give Wilson's account of the story when we had 23 witnesses give a different account, but we're going to go with Wilson's account, which is not only the most unlikely account, it is the, if, if you read Wilson's testimony, it is the most comic book-like story that you've ever heard. Like this 18-year-old kid decides to attack a cop. Like I'm, I'm in 
a lot of hoods. I'm, I'm from the Chicago area. That's where I grew up. I'm in Atlanta now. I've been around a lot of violent people, a lot of criminal people. And one thing I know about them is the only people who attack police are, uh, I guess you could say, multiple felon, felony uh multiple felony offenders, people who don't want to go back to jail. But a kid with a clean record does not attack the police. This is a law. This is hood law. Like, you you pretty much know if anybody uh, who you're going to mess with is not going to be the police. So Wilson gives this story about this kid taking bullets, and he said he saw the demon in his face as as he just took the bullets and kept coming. I mean, it started sounding like old-school reefer madness stories to where people were trying to scare scare other people with the effects of drugs. So I'm just looking at all of this and and basically laughing because not only is it not credible, it was a show of force by the people in Missouri who want to stay in power and are determined to stay in power, and they will do that uh, by hook or by crook. And, uh, I mean, that's what they showed. The people who pay Bob McCullough's salary are happy because that's what they actually wanted. Uh, The people who actually live there where the police uh, force there has no credibility because of how they've dealt with the people there. Uh, the second biggest financial uh, moneymaker in Ferguson is tickets and citations. Who are the majority of those tickets and, t- tickets and citations? Uh, let's take a guess. I'll let you guys decide on that one. But, yeah, we, we can't confuse stories and think that because one thing happens in one city, that means that uh, it, when it happens in another city that they're similar. No, these are two different – these are four different people, totally different circumstances, and anything can happen. Uh, my main thing with Ferguson was we don't know much. The evidence didn't prove either side as as more credible than the other. So we're basically talking about your own common sense. I would use Occam's razor on this. Okay, which story is more likely? And it just seems like Johnson and the multiple witnesses out there, including the two construction workers who walked down uh, and seen the end, it seems their story was more credible than Wilson's. And then we watch the the pictures come out of Wilson, clean-faced, no bruising, nothing going on. But he told us he was... He was beat within an inch of his life and was acting in fear. I I think what we have is some people are not qualified to be policemen, and when they get a job, sadly, it's going to lead to a citizen being hurt because these guys are either scared or they're just not fit for duty. But, uh, yeah, this Ferguson thing is much, much deeper than trying to bring up some kind of Sharpton or Jesse Jackson madness. Because if you remember, when those two guys came to Ferguson, Missouri, the protesters down there roundly booed and dismissed both Jesse Jackson and Al Sharpton, so they have no say in this situation. And, and I've got point, a couple points. Uh, real, real quick, Dan. You know I don't do this often, but I, I, I do want to chime in. And unfortunately, folks, this show is just flying by, and uh, so we got you know just about a half an hour before I have to get ready oh, okay. to close things out. And, and, and uh, Naj, we really appreciate you coming on the show. And, and please stay on. By no means, though, uh, I'm saying, you know, get off the show. Please stay till the end. Folks, I do want some more comments from you. And I would like to have some parting thoughts uh, from you as well before we shut down the show. But a couple points I wanted to make sure we, we talked about tonight. We won't have a lot of time to do it. But uh, one is, you well, know, first, when it comes to the shooting, they said he, he unloaded on, uh, you know, on him is that I've got a friend who is a police officer, and through my, you know, through what he told me, was he was actually trained when they said, if you're going to shoot someone, you unload on them. You don't just shoot one, 
Well, I mean, this is, what happened with yours, Dan, was, you know, I guess years ago, but uh, and this was more recent. You know, it's been some years, but not that long ago, not in the 80s. Uh, this was probably more in the um, – Right, right. Thousands, that, that, maybe, that's the uh, strategy on deadly force. You're not going to use deadly force said, and just shoot one shot. No, I, I understand. Right. He said, "Yeah, you unload on him because that you know, because it shows that you know, you were startled. You were you were in fear for yourself. So you you want you never just shoot one shot. It makes like you were purposely trying to, to you know to kill them. But you know, I mean, and I'm not saying that they're they're training people to just kill people, but that's what they're. You know, I said that's why I think he might have unloaded on him is because that they're trained to unload on him. Two, uh, the second point is, and, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on this one. It's the last point I want to spend the, mo- the most time in the remainder of the show with. Is two is, if it was reversed, let's say it was a you know, you know, a black cop who shot cop. a white, yeah, a black cop who shot a white, uh, you know, person, you know, a person robbing oh, the store that. Was there been as much media coverage? I don't think so. I don't think it'd be as well, much well, it wouldn't have been needed because he would have gone to jail. What if it was a white cop? Real quick, <laughs> what, what if it was, well, let me make my points and then we can comment. Go ahead. And then, and then you open the comment. And then I do, I, 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 Charles is still on the line, so I'd like to get him in too. And, and so let Indeed. me finish. Is Let's look at some other situations. If it was, a, you know, a white, you know, a white cop that was, and this happened recently, a white cop that's killed by, you know, a black, you know, criminal or someone robbing a store or whatever, or, you know, a, you know, you know, a black, you know, cop killing a white criminal, it wouldn't get too much news uh, as this did. And two, when the one I would spend the most time on with the remainder we've got, is we've seen all these protests throughout the country and the street. I wonder how many of these folks who are protesting were really out there knowing what they're pro- protesting about and how many were out there thinking, well, I just want to join this because I just want to be a part of something. And the main point I want to make is they're out there protesting against something they have no idea about. It's something that happens locally. Now, I, you know, someone would contend, yeah, this is something that happens throughout the United States. But, however, you see all these people in all these different cities and different uh, states throughout the country and, you know, as Dan pointed out, he did strong arm. He needs to have a strong arm robbery, and everyone knows it. That is a fact. He just committed a strong arm robbery, okay? And people, and he got, and he got killed. And people are protesting that. But then, when people don't come out in droves, as I think for the liberty movement need them to, to go and protest what the government is doing to the citizens of the country, we the people, and our liberties. Well, so what's uh, you know, what's can, I, the can I answer those things? Can I answer the things you just yeah, listed? Yeah, what's the disconnect with that? Go ahead, Naj. And then I want to bring in Charles, because I would like to bring Indeed. him in. And then Dan, right, and then I'd like to probably have to start well. shutting things down. Go right, ahead, right. I'd like to hear Charles as well. Charles well. Yeah, the the first thing, uh, the first. Well, I guess I'll go to the second because that's the one I remember where you said if this was a black cop shooting a white kid, uh, more than likely that guy's going to jail. Uh, there, there's not an idea of white people needing to get out in the streets and say this policeman uh, is attacking our group in this community, even though that is happening more now in the United States where white people are being brutalized by the police as well. Now you said uh, why? You said why aren't they joining? 
Yeah, you said, why aren't they joining the liberty movements down there? Well, you're talking about two different circumstances. The liberty movements are worried about government overreach and government taxes, and black people are worried about government abuse of power and government, I guess you could say, uh, the idea of no fairness in their area. So it's, it's just two people there's fighting a lot for, of whites in there. Two too. groups fighting for there's different a, things. I, I, well, I see, yeah, there, well, I there see were a lot, lot of white I people there. Matter of fact, other... there are a lot of white people there right now. There are a lot of white protesters yeah. there right now. They're not only protesters, they're protest groups that are completely white that are there. So this is not a thing of right. saying, oh, white people are bad and black people are good. No, I'm, I'm not making that, I'm not making oh, no, that I'm kind not of assertion no, at I all. I agree with you. Now, you no, said, you. okay, that's, are that's all of the point. protesters up to date on the information on what's going on? Hell, mm-hmm. man, come on now. Let's be realistic, dude. You could do that to any protest, any group in America and say, uh, does member 99 of the Tea Party, does he know the actual documentation and why people are actually out there? Hey, you could do that to any group. That doesn't actually prove anything. Right, and, 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 and on the second point was, yeah, I was, I just don't think that if it was, you know, a black, and, and I'm not just, you know, counting what you said about it go to jail. My my contention was, if it was a, a black cop who shot a white, uh, you know, in burglary or whatever, or uh, then it wouldn't get as much media coverage. Or if it was a well, white well, that's cop, a, that's that a whole other issue because person. the day the day the police department uh, gave Darren Wilson's name, they also gave that video of Mike Brown kind of muddy in the waters. We're, we're showing you this. And why did they show that? And why did they keep saying that this is armed robbery? They kept saying armed robbery because armed robbery or fleeing from a policeman are, are one of the reasons why you can use deadly force as a cop. So from point from, from jumpstart, we have a Mayberry-type police force that's not really sophisticated enough to handle a worldwide story, and their usual tactics of muddy in the waters just didn't wash the same way they, you know, they would normally. So the idea that all of a sudden uh, a box of cigarellos becomes an armed robbery, you know what I mean? Like just, just language, the language used is mm-hmm. setting the stage for what they want to do. Armed robbery, that's a reason to use deadly force. So we'll call this petty theft in a store armed robbery. Store owner never called the police, and Darren Wilson said uh, on the second day of investigation that he received no information about an armed robber coming. But you give Darren Wilson 106 days of media training and a lawyer to talk to him, hey, he can pretty much be coached up and speak well when he has to speak to the grand jury. So, I mean, that's what we had going on. And I'll add some, add some stuff in, but I want to bring uh, you in, Charles, because you know we're at the, the bottom of the hour, and so uh, yeah, and you know, and, and I think we're going to have to open it up back to the statement: the percentage of officers that were of the ethnicity of the city population versus the number that were Caucasian, had that been reversed, and had there been an equal percentage of African-American officers in that community, you probably would not have had the protest problems that you're having. And the unrest of the community would be mainly directed toward the fact that they've never been treated right in the community. And this incident just became the match that lit the fire that's been kindling in the community. And so when you go back to what is said originally, you got to go back and look at why this would have been news. Forget the black and white issue. 
take and look at the police force that was totally of one ethnicity where the population was of another and the comment of, and I know this for a fact, you know, at 17, I had to go to the Army or go to jail. You know, I lived in the communities that were all African-American. I got kicked off of buses going into Georgia because I wouldn't go to the front of the bus in the, in, in the 1960s because of the friends that I joined the Army with. So, wow. you know, I'm well aware of the problems of the, the, the black community and and the unrest and the fact that police officers do select out who they're going to go after. Now, I do know there was a report that there was uh, uh, a robbery that was committed and the officer was never notified and he was on his way to something else. But that's not even relevant at this point. What is relevant at this point is the bias of which the press took it on. What is relevant is that the population of the city is not being represented by the mayor, the police force, the attorney general, the the, the state, that there is no interventions of correcting racial inadequacy in, in America, that we have continually pitted the two groups against each other uh, with the intention of getting power for the Democrat or Republican Party rather than for the good of the whole. And Miss Timmons' comment, you know, when you listen to her, it was you had the black inventors who come in with all this but didn't have the money. You had the European people with the money, and it was the blacks and Europeans to build America. And if you know that this build America, why are we against each other? And then we let the immigrants come in, take over the jobs, and now the highest unemployment in America is the African-American male second to the uh, the white Caucasian male is becoming where we have the Hispanic and the female running our households and homes based on equity of pay, and what right. they did, they decided if I give a woman less money, I can fire the guy, and we'll start with the African-American male who cannot get a job today. We're not training. We're not educating. We're putting Common Core in position, destroying education. So you look at the entire thing in Ferguson, paste that on the entire United States, and you're going to see the direction we're heading. Well, Charles just laid the domino on the table. I'll just say that. <laughs> well, uh, let's go ahead and you, bring uh, Dan in to push a little finger on that domino, Dan. <laughs> All right. Um, every single case is an anecdotal case. And when I look at specific cases, there are plenty of cases in this country where police officers or federal authorities have way overstepped their, their authority and picked on people. Um, right now in contact with a fellow from Baltimore who got kicked out of Baltimore city government, a fiscal analyst who was apparently finding some sort of waste or fraud or something, but they decided to pick on him and he was too clean. So they went after, um, his gender, which is, he's a black gay guy and they ruined his reputation to the point where he's been forced to change his name 
and file a federal lawsuit. They can't get a lawyer because it's so damn corrupt down there, and they're all in, in cahoots with each other or afraid of what will happen if they buck the, uh, the powers that be down there. Um, my story, the one I told, is not atypical. There are good cops who, are tra- who they try to railroad. And there are bad cops who they protect. And I'm sorry, Naj, but a black officer shoots a white kid. It's a blue line. And they are not going to jail. They don't go to jail. Cops rarely go to jail, even in the most egregious circumstances. Had there been any sort of evidence that was substantive, as you said, it it was a question of who you believe. Uh, Had there been enough substantive evidence to show that that this Officer Wilson had committed... um, I don't think it could have been considered a premeditated murder because the whole thing happened in less than 90 seconds, but um, a a wrongful killing of some kind. I'd be 100% behind him going to jail. I am 100% behind people protesting in Ferguson because they want to. And you're absolutely right. Until quite recently, when all political scrutiny, when when, uh, people started looking at Ferguson, uh, they were getting the vast majority of their, their revenue for the municipality from fines, which, which went against the residents, and the residents are mostly black, so it was them who was paying for it. And you're right. Uh, they changed that only under pressure. The state is wrong there. But when you're going to indict somebody for murder or indict them for a crime, you can't have anything other than probable cause and beyond a reasonable doubt. They didn't even find probable cause in this grand jury, and they looked at everything that they could. I don't know if they were right. I don't know if they were right in the uh, uh, the jury in the O.J. Simpson uh, situation. What I do know is that I saw the video, the, the the store video of this thug, and he reminded me of me. Uh, and it was a strong arm robbery. He pushed the guy down when this little fella tried to stop him from taking a box of blunts, which is money. All right, it's not petty theft. It wasn't shoplifting. It was a strong-arm robbery. I am not saying that justifies a damn thing. What I am saying is, and, and I will take issue with one other point, Naj, which is that, that uh, the white part of the liberty movement, if there is a group part or whatever, does, is more concerned with taxes. Uh, the affluent are more concerned with taxes. And a lot of people who are on the margin are concerned with taxes. Property taxes taking away homes of elderly people of all colors. However, um, among the people I deal with here in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, New York, Ohio, West Virginia, uh, Virginia, and uh, Maryland area, and Jersey too, this this sort of like 200-mile, 300-mile radius around where I live in, in Pennsylvania, there are plenty of white guys and white ladies who are extremely, they support proper policing. They, they like good cops, but they're really, really worried about cops who are going too far. And there have been plenty of cases. Unfortunately, we had a guy six miles from here in a little town, a little tiny town, Tamaqua, where they tased this guy to death. They tased him, tased him, tased him, and tased him again. The only thing that got those cops off, and I'm not sure if the, I think they made the wrong decision. He wasn't moving anymore, but he was on bath salts. Now, I don't know what uh, they said, the grand jury testimony that's come out so far said that this young man, Mr. Mike Brown, was on some kind of drugs. Uh, no, I don't he, know if he that smoked marijuana. Well, that's why he was still in marijuana. He's a marijuana smoker. Well, I, that, I don't know what else he might have done. Back in my day, I did a hell of a lot of bad things. And 
I never reached a point personally where I lost control. I do recall an incident in a biker den with some pagans where meth took its toll and one guy snapped and he not only was shooting at us, when the cops showed up, he was shooting at them over nothing, over nothing. What right, I, but but oh, that's that's meth. That's not marijuana. Yeah, Huge I don't difference know. in reaction and also the behavior of the person using was on. it. Well, no, I you can actually look it up. Is. It's right there. They did the they did the autopsy. They also did the toxicology report. It was marijuana in the system. You see, so it was just like this is what I mean. Like when we use language in a way like that, yeah. that just changed the whole narrative of the story. Now, when I the when guy I'm you just about, compared who used meth, that is not marijuana. Oh, you're right. I don't. If he wasn't on on, if it was just on pot, then I don't see how that would have made any difference, except to slow him down a little bit. Exactly. Um, <laughs> now, when I'm when I'm looking at Ferguson, the people there are absolutely within their rights to protest, and I support that. And they're absolutely right that they deserve a government that's representative of themselves and that treats them fairly. And personally, I don't care if the people running our government locally are white, black, or brown, or any other color. What I want them to do is be honest, right. not corrupt not steal and and misuse power. But when you have outside groups and agitators who, and this is exactly like Philadelphia because they planned this, they used an incident, they didn't care what the facts were, and these race baiters and communists went in there and tried to stir up trouble and they tried to create violence as a predicate for the state clamping down. It's kind of like push so they'll get pushed back. Whoever burned down any stores whoever looted any stores, that's not a protest. I'm not protesting against the government when I go into a private business and destroy what they built. There's a, a, a right. story that's just come up today about a, uh, a, a lady, a black lady that just happens to be, who was poor, 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 and she loved to bake, and she made pies and cakes for some kind of uh, local farmer's market or fair or something, and they were so damn good that she built and built to the point where she had a store. This is a woman who's not oppressing anybody. This is a woman who created something out of nothing just with her hard work and her love, and Mm -hmm. she was employing people and providing value for the community, and she was one of them. She's a person of the community. She's not an elitist. She controls nothing but her little store that she worked so hard for, and these thugs burned it down. That's not protesting, and I don't support that. Anybody who tries to do that stuff, look, in my town, if they want to protest something, I'm part of the protesters in this town. We've been protesting and taking it politically, peacefully, against the people who are established and running things and won't fess up. They won't be accountable. They're misusing their power. But if they want to protest and come marching down my street, I'm fine with that, absolutely. If they have the time and they want to discuss it with me, they're welcome to come sit on my porch. And depending on the weather, I'll either give them a cold drink or a hot cup of coffee. But the minute that they start beating somebody, raping somebody, or burning something down, then the shotgun that's inside the door is going to get some action because I'm not going to accept that. And when there's a police officer who's doing right, I'm going to support them. But when they're doing wrong, I'm going to see them in jail. And this guy Brown, uh, rather uh, Wilson, they just didn't have enough evidence that was substantive to indict him 
and put him in prison. But don't worry. Uh, the president will make certain that there's a federal investigation into this. And I'll predict <laughs> the, the in this one, too. Oh, yeah, there, there are, there's already talk well, about it. There, there's that guy, already already about oh, it. come on. That guy. His, uh, civil liberties. Yeah, I Mr. I uh, like Mr. Milktoast Man of, of Policy, not Morality, uh, I doubt he does anything. He'll look at the polls, look at how the numbers go, and say, okay, can I do this or can I not? Why There's would nothing he he's going to do based on principle because that's the kind of guy he is. He does not act on principle. He acts on poll numbers. So if he the poll numbers tell polls. him not to do anything, he won't do anything. That, that's Wait who he minute. is. That's why he gave that mushed, mealy-mouthed statement he gave the other day, which meant nothing. But I, I'm sure it made some black people happy out here. But, I mean, that, that's no, I what agree. he does. That's what that guy is. Well, actually, now, th there was no well, rape was that it. occurred. I've never once on this phone call said that I support anybody burning anything down. So I, I never I said that. Right. So I don't know why you made that well, argument no, against not, that. Not, I, I've never said that. No, we're not saying I, I wasn't arguing not, with we're not, you that we're not you, saying did. you were saying that. And I, I actually have the audio of Obama's uh, uh, response on Ferguson. Unfortunately, it's like 10 minutes, and we don't. We Ooh, just, man, that, don't that is that. comedy there. That is comedy. <laughs> yeah, we, we, yeah, we unfortunately don't have uh, the time to, to play it. I was uh, had it queued and was, was planning on playing it tonight, but uh, the conversation just was, uh, you know, a lot of it, which is great. <laughs> so, and the Naj, of course, um, you know, hope you like the format uh, another, here on the show. Another so. stuttering word salad masterpiece of nothing. That's what I'll call that statement. <laughs> well, well, maybe he didn't have a, a teleprompter in front of him. I don't know. Well, well. We still have, unfortunately, another couple of years unless uh, somehow he gets impeached, which I really don't think that's going to happen. So, but I do see it's it's about quarter till the hour, so we only have about fifteen minutes uh, left yeah, of the. Well, look, I, I'm uh, going to hang up and listen because I I don't I don't want to make this show about Ferguson. Okay. I know you guys got other topics to get to, so I'm going to hang up and listen. But either uh, way, man, good dialogue. Don't, don't I don't feel like uh, I had a situation where I talked to somebody and 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 we feel different about each other. No, we just had a situ uh, an argument based on what we think and. You can walk away and still shake another man's hand. So as far as I'm concerned, good dialogue. Much respect to y'all. Keep doing what y'all doing, man. Thank you, man. Thank you very much. But as I said, with the way the the show goes, I wouldn't hang up because you won't be able to hear uh, the rest of the of the the show because this is what's called the extended period in which oh. uh, during the lifetime you can hang up and still be able to listen to uh, the show over the internet. However, uh, the last hour or the extended period is only uh, going to be available to be heard uh, the folks on the call, but all the shows are archived, and if you're interested in listening to uh, the other shows, Naj, uh, all the shows that uh, we've ever done here, uh, you can find in the ar archives here on uh, Blog Talk Radio for the show. So if you, yeah, if you hang up, you won't be able to hear the rest. So let's go ahead and well, talk some uh, closing comments. And, and I wanna, yeah, I'd like, like to make to say a comment. Go ahead. Oh yeah, we got yeah we got time for for, for closing comments. I just quick to say, comment. uh, I think Ferguson is a representation of what's going on all across America today, and I think that our political system has created that with the intent to keep us divided. So, if somebody tries to say Ferguson is an isolated case, I just drove through the 67 voting districts in Florida. I made 50 different meetings. I saw who was unemployed and on the street and where the police officers are misusing their power and how there's an inadequacy of, of uh, different 
racial groups within our, our departments. And so I think that if you want to change this, you're going to have to change the entire political system, and that's why I'm running for senator in 2016. Indeed. So we've definitely uh, at least had in the show where it's not outright supported uh, folks from, you know, someone other than the two major parties. We've, you know, if you look in the archives, as I mentioned earlier, you'll see that we've interviewed a lot of folks uh, from the Constitution Party. And actually, a couple uh, weeks ago, I did a live broadcast from uh, the Constitution Party's uh, fall meeting uh, that was held not too far uh, from my locale. Uh, so you folks can listen to that. I interviewed a lot of people from uh, their leadership and, and one guy who may be running for president. Uh, for their uh, their parties to check that out as well, uh, but yeah. So Dan, uh, it is time uh, for our parting comments. So uh, if you'd like to make some parting comments, uh, Charles, I appreciate you coming to the show, and then you, Dan, take a couple minutes, and then I'll proceed to make my closing comments, and then we'll have to close things down for the night. Thank you very much. Go ahead, Charles. Yeah, and again, I, I, I appreciate the opportunity, and I understand that there are other political parties that are out there trying to bring America back, but it's going to take America's looking at Ferguson as what's going on in every place. And although people don't want to make that a political place, it is a picture of what's happening in every little city in the United States today, and it's not being placed the way it should be. And the training needed for our police officers who are to serve the people is part of the problem, and I know there's viewpoints on that. I had a sister at 16 with three children sitting in a police officer's car and took a gun and shot herself. And he never got charged. So I'm wow. going to leave it there. Wow. That's a tragedy. What I want to say is this. I don't see, and I grew up in a mixed neighborhood, and I don't really care about the externals that people can't control. I don't see it as uh, white versus black versus brown versus yellow versus red. I don't see it versus as urban versus rural, Democrat versus Republican. And by the way, we've had, besides Constitution Party, uh, honest Republicans, honest Libertarians. Uh, we've had Green Party people. I'm waiting for uh, some honest Democrats because I know they they exist. They're out there. There used to be a lot of them in this country, and that party needs a reform. The way I see it is that Martin Luther King was right, absolutely right. God will judge us, and he'll know. This is my personal belief. You don't have to believe this. He'll know all those things that nobody knows but us and that maybe we've chosen to conveniently forget. But here on this earth, being non-judgmental is being foolish. I make judgments, and so do you on everything all the time. What's the weather outside? What should I wear? Should I leave early? I had to drive through ice tonight. Uh, how am I going to drive? This is based on judgment. And I will judge a person based on the content of their character, as King said. And I can't thank God, know the content of their true character. I can't know their thoughts and their feelings and their, their dreams other than what they do and what they express. So I will judge and I will be judged here on this earth as an individual based on what I do. Those people out there who are bullies and thugs, 
and who have found ways to get the, the authority to rule other people. And in, in this corrupt uh, system, it's very easy for those sorts of people to rise to the top. You look at the people at, at the top and you think they're incompetent. Believe me, they're not incompetent. They may not be able to do any of the jobs that the people below them do. They may not know any of the jobs that the people that, that below them do, but they're extremely good at gaining, amassing, and maintaining power. And they're good at using it in a wrong manner. So uh, I, I personally have been stopped <laughs> over the years by police officers of every color and gender. And um, those officers, those, those authorities who treated me properly uh, according to guidelines with respect, um, who obeyed the law, who enforced the law as it was and went no further than that. I have respect for them because that's their job and that's what we, we need people to do that. But those people who choose, whether they're police officers or they're your boss at work or there's some uh, government boss or, you know, some appointed official or, you know, if they're choosing to misuse their authority and to, to pe put people under their thumb and under their boot and to squish them down, those people can't be tolerated. So when, when we need to see uh, someplace like Ferguson have, have people that represent the community, what we need, I, I don't really care if they match color you know, uh, quotas or, or numbers. I don't care if it's 40%, 60%, 20% of this color. That's bullshit. Excuse my French. What I do care is that they respect the uh, citizens and that they realize that the citizens are who they work for and that they realize that when they go out into any particular community, no matter how rich or poor it is, the vast majority of people in that community will support them if what they're doing is protecting those people from wolves. Okay, the people out there who are selling drugs to children, who are raping women, who are breaking into homes, who are stealing things, who are destroying, those are the enemies of peaceful people. And while we can protect ourselves to some extent, yeah, I'll finish up real quick. Uh, we need authority, and I'm not anti-government, but what we need is authority that's made of us, of decent individuals who, who are held to account and held to not only a standard, but to a higher standard, because once you take that oath, there's no going back. You have to uphold your oath, which is to the, the spirit, as well as the letter of the law and the Constitution. And Dan, uh, real quick, just uh, within a minute or, or two, I just want, that's why I want to stop short, is uh, for you to give a little uh, description, a little synopsis of uh, our guest uh, for next week. Terry? Oh, yeah, uh, we have Terry Trussell on next week. Uh, Terry is a 72-year-old Floridian who is a, a veteran of uh, the armed forces, who is a family man, uh, a farmer, a successful businessman, a grandparent, a great-grandparent, an awesome guy. He was the chief of staff at Operation American Spring when I was the assistant to uh, Colonel Harry Riley. Terry uh, was on a grand jury. I'm not going to tell his whole story. And he was made grand jury foreman. And he found information and wanted to investigate uh, bribery of public officials to promote Common Core. Straightforward, getting money to promote uh, from private interest to promote public policy. And he was shut down by the district attorney. And uh, Terry went the citizen grand jury route and ended up arrested. He was in court on charges before the judge. And the judge says, I need to see Terry Trussell 
where are you? And Terry stood up in his loud voice that you'll hear next week and said, I'm here three times. And the judge refused to admit that he was there and threw this old man, this good old man, into jail. He's out on bail right now, and we're trying to get him an attorney because none of the attorneys in his corrupt county are willing to touch the case, even those few who would even give a grudging defense, much less a zealous defense of his rights. And Terry's being charged with some some things that are just unheard of that nobody gets charged with. Um, They're afraid to go up against the power structure there. Terry Trussell is somebody you're going to really, really enjoy listening to. Not only is he a patriot and a very learned guy, he knows a lot of stuff, but he is a hoot. He is funny and just really, really interesting guy to listen to. You're going to enjoy it, folks. I'm definitely looking forward to uh, speak with uh, him next week. And speaking of patriotism, I'll I'll end tonight uh, with a quote here from George William Curtis. I'm just reading it off while there's drink coolers that uh, my daughter got me as a gift uh, for Father's Day, my birthday. And it says, a man's country is not a certain area of land, of mountains, rivers, and woods, but it is a principle. And patriotism is loyalty to that principle. So thank you, everyone, for coming to the show tonight. Uh, Definitely share the link with folks uh, so they can listen to the show as well, uh, because the podcast will be available shortly after uh, the end of the show, and it's easy just by going and sharing the link. And also there's a follow button there you can find on Blog Talk Radio, but you can follow the show, which will give you email uh, emails that let you know of the upcoming shows and topics. And But I will end tonight, as I do every night. But first, I want to wish everyone a happy Thanksgiving tomorrow, and I uh, hope that if you're traveling, they have a safe trip and uh, spend some time with family. So as I said, I was going to end tonight as I do every night, and that is with the song by Aubrey Ashburn. And you can hear more of her music by going to www.aubreyashburn.com. So take care, folks. Good night, and we'll see you soon. Take care. Thank you.